Hello, everybody, and welcome to Bad End Podcast, episode 75. I am one of your lovely co-hosts for this podcast. And as of four days ago, certified expert Gama Sutra blogger, Kyle Cookstone, <laughs> joined as always by uh, my two co-hosts, Katie McCarthy of US Gamer and Josh Clickstow of writing about video games generally on the internet. Um, we've also got a special guest today uh, coming to you live from quarantine, uh, Bijan Steven. What up? Thank you guys for having me. This is great. Thanks I'm for still being in on. my house. I love it. <laughs> I didn't have We've to all, go anywhere. We're all still here. <laughs> uh, Bijan, I, I've known you from some other stuff in the past, but also I feel like <laughs> since we first, <laughs> some stuff, uh, since we first met, you've like kind of sort of sailed into, I guess you were writing about video games before, but I'd love if you could just give yeah. us and me, honestly, catch up on like, what have you been doing the past year? Why are we talking to you? Yeah, I, I don't know why you're talking to me. That I can't answer, but I can. Hold on, let me pull up. Let me pull up my website because I can't. Let me pull up my, res- pull my resume. I was literally about <laughs> to do. I, I, I straight up, I straight up cannot remember. He's got a like, shit paper happened. up right now. Print it open. No, I'm in my Google Drive, bro. Come on, we don't use paper anymore. It's 2020. <laughs> um, I'm not. I'm literally not even kidding. Do you want to read your mission statement up. first on your resume? Do people still do that? I don't know. That's why I was asking. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that's uh, general practice, go. right? Is to have like a little, in, you have like one sentence, you're not being too funny, you're not being too professional, but like also professional enough, you know, you want to like have personality and then you have like, like you gotta, your education, you funny, your skills. Yeah. You want to like catch attention. Mysterious. Exactly. No, exactly. Uh, yeah, no, absolutely not. That's not the case for me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, because, you know, if, if people, if people are getting in touch about my resume, it's usually, they've, we've usually already had a chat. Right. Because like, I don't know, yeah. I I'm yeah, in, I'm, I work in an industry that's like most of the people in the industry know each other. And, you know, right. I don't know. there aren't any jobs anyway. So it's like mostly an act like it's people, uh, <laughs> people doing you a favor. You also have like you have like the very like um, because you you wrote for The Verge. You did some video games. Right yeah. For the okay. Verge, I do. I do some- actually. I have, my, I have my resume up right now. Okay, so what, yeah. what year do you want to what year do you want to start in? Because I think we met uh, after I left Vice. <laughs> yeah, I think I think when we had first met, you were not jobless, but you're just kind of like ambiently. Oh, I was jobless. Yeah, no, you I was jobless, very jobless as a freelancer. Yeah, was, but you had just I knew you because you did that really cool piece. Actually, full disclosure, the writing, I was like, this farting's fine, whatever. But the piece that you did on esports like four years ago, where you had this photographer come in to shoot some like amateur Overwatch thing. Oh yeah, that's where I first yeah, that was you from, and those photos were fucking great. It oh, was like yeah. the first I mean, time I'd ever seen someone photograph a, any sort of esports competition in that way, and it and felt do it more like yeah, it was like it was kind of like gross in like a really interesting way. Like the lighting was all super harsh. It was, felt mm-hmm. very sweaty. Like it felt like it sort of captured what it means to be like in like an amateur esports league more so than this sort of like glamour and glossiness of, you know, what we, what we associate with esports. And yeah. you were, you wrote the, the words for that piece and that's where I first found you. But since did you then, just call the words only. Okay. It was cool because I think you knew what was going on and I, but I was like, but me personally, I was like, these pictures are saying everything <laughs> yeah. I need to know. Well, so right? the, the problem was the problem. Was, well, not the problem. The best part about it was, uh, here, let me send you a link in discord. So you know what he's talking about. Uh, oh, yeah. cause I pulled that up. I just <laughs> like, I'm meticulous in these podcasts because I'm glad the resume is up. So you can just send the yeah. link over. You got I, the link. Turns out, well, that's not on my resume, but I Googled it, but yeah, these fucking pictures are still great. So it's the pictures are, are by Mark Peterson, who is a fantastic, fantastic New York Times photographer. Uh, so initially, apparently they, uh, the, the editor <clears throat> who was a friend of mine, 
also by the way since this piece came out topic pivoted to being like a romance streaming service because it's run by like elon musk's (laughs) sister there's a whole weird story i'm not even kidding that's not a joke that's incredible so everyone got everyone got laid off like that was it's yeah it's awful um but yeah uh initially the piece was supposed to be about gaming houses and i was like no no no. there's an amateur esports tournament uh coming up that the philadelphia uh what are they called they're the overwatch team fusion it's in the piece the flyers is the fusion yeah, yeah yeah fusion yeah yeah, and so they were looking for like an amateur player who could join the organization on their academy team. Um, yeah, and so I just I went and looked at it. It was great. Uh, it was a weird time, but that piece was wait March twenty eighteen. So I think Kyle, I think I knew your writing from Kill Screen because I was an intern at Kill Screen. You were an intern oh, too. Wow, you was an intern probably yeah. before my first wait, my first when editorial were you Kill intern. Uh, my first editorial job that was must that must have been like 2013 2012 okay yeah because i was in terms of like 2014 yeah i think we were all 2014 or 2013 so you must have been in like the batch like right before us yeah because i I remember it was my junior year of college which would have been 2012 um yeah but it was i mean i remember yeah because i would read all the magazine and i did a bunch of like i don't know copy editing and stuff um, I also actually worked with Jamin during this like weird room springer that I had from journalism. Because uh, <laughs> I, 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 I went through a breakup and I was I was like, fuck it, I'm going to L.A. So I spent like a month in L.A. that Kill Screen paid for and I was doing VR consulting. They nice. can't see those air quotes. Uh, with Jamin. <laughs> we can hear them loud and clear. Uh, it was I mean, it was great because like I it was basically like I felt like Jamin's a really great guy and Kill, uh, Kill Screen is uh, different now now that it's an agency. Um, but I feel like they're like we were giving some really cool advice to like big companies about like what what VR was and what it could do and what it could be. And it was I mean, it was the first time I'd like really ever done VR stuff. And it was amazing because I was like, holy shit, this is actually convincing. Like I was because I hadn't done VR since like mall VR when you'd like go on a roller coaster or whatever. And that stuff was, you know, that 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 is legitimate VR. That that counts. Right. Um. So, yeah. Uh. And it was it was really it was really nice to catch up with Jamin. Um, he is he doesn't follow me on Instagram. He doesn't follow me back rather, but I fave his pics. Um, (laughs) Well, I feel like it's also easy to forget. Like, I think, um, I think it's easy as a lot of people like, like we are like play games and stuff, how much Mm -hmm. we sort of take our knowledge about games for granted. And when you talk to like any other company, they're still like back in 1985 thinking about like games is this sort of thing. And I think it's, it's easy to forget like how far, I think games as a thing has to go for kind of like any organization um, outside of Mm -hmm. like games people. And there's also the issue where like games people don't know how to talk to non-games people, which is why you sort of have this in-group stuff. So having people, whether it be like, um, you know, 256, which is what Kill Screen is now, or like people like us or whoever Mm -hmm. kind of have to be proactive about doing that outreach because that's clearly not happening sort of ambiently. Stuff doesn't just happen organically. Right. Which is, yeah. And it's like the place that I've sort of found myself in, um, because you know, like, um, again, like the, uh, when I say, I think, yeah, I, I, the reason I wanted to work at kill screen was because I remember like reading about it and it was like, it was all this like tied in with pitchfork. And I was like, Oh, this is like, this is video games and music. These are the next like waves of things that are very interesting. Um, artistically speaking. And it was, it was, it felt really sort of natural at the time. And it's weird because like, I think games have like, I don't know, since, 2012 like i think the gaming industry not the gaming industry the gaming community has come really far like um and 
I'm excluding Gamergate from that narrative, but like, I was like two it steps seems forward, like, one step back. Yeah. <laughs> well, but yeah. And then, and then, yeah. And then we maybe step forward again, but it was, it, it, it's, it's fascinating because I do think like people understand games now. Like they, they sort of like, there's an ambient awareness and consciousness that wasn't there before. Um, but yeah, to answer your earlier question about my, from my resume. Um, <laughs> so I used to, I used to be a culture correspondent. Uh, so I was a, <laughs> I worked at Vanity Fair, and then I was an editor of the New Republic, where I published the only video game stories on that website. They're still there. Nice. Um, <laughs> my my favorite was my friend Kevin Wen, who is uh, we work together now at The Verge. Um, but uh, he was like Hideo Kojima is the Jonathan Franzen of video games. That I think that was the headline <laughs> on the piece. Um, so I did that, and then I did a lot of video game stuff at Vice, and then uh, worked did a lot of freelancing. And I think I worked for the company that you used to work for for a minute kyle and you that did was like that was a thing that was weird we that, to go into i want to i want to forget that <laughs> <laughs> i'm not gonna lie to you i want to forget that oh, i know it's, uh, it's totally fine i think they uh, listen to this podcast sometimes though too so oh well you know what shouts to them i'm glad they're, shout, still shout around. they're still around because whenever i forget about people i assume they're just they're not dead but i just they don't <laughs> feature <laughs> they're not <laughs> on your life periphery or anything yeah uh, and then I worked at Vox as a weekend editor and I got a job as a music critic at the nation, which is still the thing I do. Um, and then I worked at the verge. So at the verge, I like did a bunch of stuff. I wrote about inner culture for a while. Uh, right. And then we, we had like a reorganization, uh, and then I got put on the Twitch beat. So that's, that's where I am today. Still under the verge. So you're, are you a full-time yeah. staff writer at the verge? Yeah. Yeah, you, yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. Sweet. Yep. That's right, bro. That's for, I'm going <laughs> to close my resume. If like anybody paired with Pitchfork now, it like wouldn't be the same, but it was like, Oh no way. Like Pitchfork yeah. had like no. just given my beautiful dark twisted fantasy a 10 and it was like <laughs> fucking kill screens there. <laughs> yeah. It was in retrospect. That was the end of blogging, like, like blog house stuff. Like, <laughs> yeah. that, like I'm not even kidding. I'm not even kidding. They killed altered, altered zones shortly thereafter, I think. Um, and that was a good website, but like, it was, I feel like blog music died and then video game blogging sort of, changed and professionalized maybe a little bit um everyone seemed to like get jobs and i was like oh this is interesting but i don't know we don't have to talk about video game history i don't know why i'm here though i couldn't i, I can't answer your question Kyle. <laughs> i mean your resume makes it sound like you're just actually i mean so something you brought up in your resume i think we did want to talk about generally um and one that you didn't actually bring up when you were give, regaling us with the history of your career in uh games journalism and media uh, is that you do a you do a show now that I actually know nothing about besides like yeah. some screenshots I see every once in a while, but I think it's related to the fact that you're more on the Twitch beat now. And I think specifically, yeah. I'm like alluding to this idea of like streaming and stream culture. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm interested to know sort of what your perspective is on that as someone who, I mean, played games and stuff. But I think that just because you play games doesn't necessarily mean that you have to engage with stream culture, or maybe you do now. Right. I'd be interested to know sort uh, of like what your perspective is. I don't think you do. I mean, it's interesting because, yeah, so like from like having started covering the streaming side of gaming, it's it's like it's very it's very interesting to me because like on the one hand, it's like it's it's sort of like it intersects with larger gaming culture, obviously. But like streaming seems like, excuse me, sorry, now the main way that like young people interface with gaming, like it's like it's like part of the, it's a part of a virtual virtuous cycle, right? Like. Uh, you find a game, you learn as much as you can about the game, but there's always like there's streams, there's streamers, there's YouTubers, there's all this like stuff around games now that's really interesting. Like that that like wasn't I don't think quite mainstream before. Um, and like I've been writing about this at the Verge for uh, I guess since like February, but like this is kind of Twitch's moment in the limelight. This is like Twitch's chance to become mainstream, like actually because Do you mean everybody's the quarantine at home. specifically. 
Okay, yeah. Yeah, yes. yeah. yeah. Sorry, I was yeah. Uh because because everybody's at home and because like so Twitch's numbers are up. Like it's like 1.2 billion hours watched a month last month. Like it's like this massive increase of people to the site and like you know concurrently Twitch is trying to move itself away from gaming as a brand. But it's it's like the larger streaming landscape and how it interacts with game culture and people who are into games is really fascinating. I think it's like it's the thing that I'm actually interested in um, as, as like a streaming correspondent person um, because I don't know, I like games, but like playing games on stream is a fundamentally different experience than playing games by yourself. Watching games on stream is a fundamentally different experience than playing games by yourself, but it also like, they're also sort of the same thing. Um, that doesn't answer your question, but uh, those are some, <laughs> if you, if you like ask me specific questions, I will tell you more stuff because you asked, you asked the big question and I, I, asked I, the big I question it's hard I to did. answer. It's hard to answer the big question without answering the small questions first. Yeah, I'll take a stab at it then. Um, you have been mm-hmm. uh, doing a lot of streaming, and I'm curious as to what you've learned about the streaming platforms like Twitch and what it takes to be a good streamer mm-hmm. or what that entails in any sense since you've been doing it so yeah. much over quarantine. Yeah, that's, I mean, like, I, I personally think Twitch is the hardest place to build an audience, like, of, of all of the social media sites. Um, and I'm, I don't know. I'm, it's like sort of a social media site, but it's not really, but it kind of is, but it's like their features are really bad. But um, I think building an audience there is, is really like satisfying in a, in a, in a nice way, but it's like, I don't know. I think the like streaming feels like it feels new in a way that's like hard to describe. I, I like, it feels like a thing that wasn't necessarily possible before without a sh- like a shitload of technology. And it feels like a thing that like, it, it doesn't really have many analog because it's not live TV, but it's not like and it's like, I guess it's, I guess it's most like camming. Like it's like straight up. It's like I was talking to somebody on the phone yesterday because they were like, hey, I want to I, like I got like Twitch got in touch with me. I, I want to know like what Twitch is like from somebody who's not part of the company. And they called it platonic camming. And I was like, yeah, that's what Twitch is, <laughs> Twitch is platonic camming because it's like it's it, it building an audience here is, is like building these parasocial relationships between you know, you and your viewers, but also it's like a lot of people who like video games congregating one space that like doesn't feel threatening, which again, sort of a legacy of Gamergate, right? Because like video game mobs are not like not generally good, but I think on the whole Twitch has like a pretty, uh, pretty positive community. Um, although, I mean, again, this depends on broadcasters and, you know, Twitch just made a security or safety advisory council that will advise them on how things on the site are going but i i don't know i mean like i think i this is the, i mean this these, these are the questions that i wrestle with and i don't really have any definitive answers but i i think that like i think streaming is good i think streaming games is good i think um i think the communities around these things are good and i think it feels like the next sort of evolution of like what gaming is and the like the mainstream consciousness like it's it's like this is like you can see it and you can touch it and it like makes sense um Although I guess it doesn't make that much sense because I still have a job explaining it <laughs> to people. But but I, I don't mean, know. I still have to I mean, go like, to a mechanic to get my car fixed. Doesn't mean that cars don't work, you know? Yeah, it's true. I guess that's I guess that's fair. Um, but that's a yeah. I guess journalism is a trade. But I, I I do think like I don't know. It's interesting because like I spend more time explaining to, like trying to show people what Twitch is because they're like oh like I, the number of people who get in touch with me these days who who are just like hey how do I do this? What do I do? What should I know? Uh, and it, it has gone up exponentially because everyone's like streaming themselves playing piano or whatever, um, which is great. But um, 
the culture there is a very strange thing. And I think that's, that's sort of what these questions are revolving around. Maybe the culture of live streaming. Um, but you guys are just letting me ramble. Don't do that. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm just I'm just gonna like get lost in my head. Like I I'd like I was going down a spiral there, and no we're one's just gonna, we're just gonna watch you just fall all the way down. Yeah. So I've actually been watching streams for around like the past over over a decade now. Actually, um, I've followed like League of Legends. I followed. Mm -hmm. You know everything from that to like Super Mario Maker to Valorant to Counter Strike to Fortnite. I've followed like all types of games. Hearthstone was obviously one of the bigger ones. Um, but one thing that always trips me out is like how much different every community is based on the game. Right, the audience shifts drastically depending on what game it is they're watching. And one thing that I I, I find really fascinating is mm -hmm. that you can kind of talk about politics. There is a lot of space to engage with video games in a little bit more of a critical way. And this is something that I've said in the podcast in the past, is that I feel like the viewership of Twitch almost gives a little bit more critical leeway to people who are on video platforms like mm -hmm. Twitch um, in a way that is not necessarily intuitive, right? So one of the people that I watch a lot recently is a Super Mario Maker player called Trihex. I He's love Trihex. Good at the game, um, and he talks all the time mm. about politics yeah. on his stream. I, I do want to say he is a pro Mario player. <laughs> like he's on a team. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no, I just mean that he's not like the best of all of the Super Mario Maker players. But no, he's he's still really great. He's better than most <laughs> players out there. Um, and that's why he has a really. What's well, funny, Josh, what you're saying there yeah. as a small side to, to totally break your flow for a second. Like, I think the whole sort of like the context of streaming is very interesting, sort of in what you're implying by saying he's not that He's not the best, which is that Twitch, I think, as a platform, and you can speak to this. No, no, no. More, I don't think that's true. Sort of yeah, like, I think I think I think Josh is right. Keep going. You were, you're, you're more on people watching people right who are like certifiably the best. Like it's if you have two people who are both playing the same game. Mm -hmm. No, yeah. I mean, of course it's important that you are skilled at the game. I think that's definitely part of it. Right, right, of course. Yeah. But what I'm saying with regards to Trihex is right. that he is kind of both at the same time where right. he's able to inject his political points of view and he's able to talk about a lot of stuff that maybe a lot of critics don't feel at liberty talking about or they would get a lot of backlash for. I mean, partially because he's good that at the game. And he was one of the first earliest people on the platform. Like Trihex has been around forever. Tryhard is like is a global emote on Twitch, which is like for those of you who don't know, uh anybody can use it and usually uh emotes are gated by subscriptions. Um but I think, yeah, no, you're, you're absolutely right. And like, I've actually spoken to him a few times for pieces on the verge about his, about his politics, because like he's gotten DMCA takedowns from like CNN because he streamed the debates and like, it's like he, but he feels like he has a responsibility to get more political because like, that's what he actually believes. And you're right. It's, it's strange because streaming actually incentivizes those connections with people that if you put them in a, in a piece, they wouldn't land so much. But like, I think this is also the thing about streaming is like, it's, it is sort of a walled garden. Like streamers are sort of their own walled gardens. It's hard. It's really, really hard. It, it, it's like difficult to find new people on Twitch. Twitch's discovery feature, it's gotten a lot better, but it's, it doesn't it, 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 like you're, you're going to watch things that you're already interested in. And so like Trihex has a huge <laughs> following 
people <laughs> like him, but he's also been around long enough to build that following and to build a community of people. Like the people you're seeing watch him are the people who like like him and find him in that context. Like, whereas with like a piece, I don't think it's a direct one-to-one comparison because like anybody can read that. Like you see a piece come across and through your filter bubble, it doesn't like, you're not operating within it. And I think that's maybe the main difference. But I do, th- I mean, I do think you're right. I think, I think it's like, streaming does have that power like it, it's it's sort of amazing that like there is a streamer for anything you can think of and kyle to go back to the point that you were making about like okay twitch incentivizes watching the best well yeah that's sort of true i mean there is like a lot of like there is that you can go watch people like um i don't know unknown army if you like Fortnite or um fucking symphony if you like Warzone. but like the personalities matter just as much as the gameplay like, I'm not very good at video games and I, you know, like I have a small Twitch community and it's nice because like the people who follow me aren't following me because I like, they're not following me because I'm good at video games. <laughs> like, like that's, and it, it's like, well, they're following you because they know you, well, right? Like I think the, the point about like Twitch having bad discovery of. in part is the fact that if you're someone who's like looking, if you like don't know about the personalities that exist across the war zone spectrum, well, I feel like you'd be more incentivized to watch someone who is good as well, a first on, priority. And then like, once you settle in find somebody whose personality matches there is with a you, sec- but it's hard to like but there is a secondary concern okay. here because warzone is very specific like warzone Fortnite, all sure. of that shit like you're watching that because you want to see gameplay like you don't like you don't watch undertale because you want to see gameplay you watch undertale because you like the game sure. and those like there are games that have huge communities around them like and it's it's like very easy to sort of see um how that works because like again like so i, I streamed undertale the other day which is the only reason i use that as an example um, and I found I saw like a, an influx of new people because they wanted to see somebody play the game for the first time and like watch them like react and feel through it because that game is amazing. Like, I don't know. I'm sure you've all played it, but like, holy shit, it's like it's a feelings heavy bullet hell game, which is like shouldn't it shouldn't exist, really. Like it like <laughs> Toby Fox, you're a genius. I like I, I hate love that game. <laughs> I died so many times. But um, but it was it was like. that's the other half of the twitch equation right it's like you can go see the best gameplay or you can go see stuff that you love and you can find people you love in the process and i think that's like that second part is way more important than the first part yeah and i think it's important to remember here like the kind of proto model for all this giant Mm -hmm. bomb yeah which was they kind of started the whole model of this thing with austin austin walker worked there um you have you know jeff gersman a bunch of just huge names who had this personality driven brand and they weren't necessarily pro players but they were able to build their community based off of that and that's what got them big and that's what gained them following and i think that's like kind of a proto model right. for twitch that has been successful now and that i think people can look to emulate and that's why i think like there's kind of a really cool mm-hmm. opportunity here for uh critical streamers or streamers who are critics because they have this opportunity to kind of build their own brands apart from, you know, if they were just to write words that someone would, you know, not necessarily take at face value, they might just come out guns blazing the way that a lot of readers tend to do when they see a piece of writing that they like disagree with at first glance. Um, But I think Mm -hmm. the video medium could be an outlet for them to kind of make their way into these audiences uh i guess screens and to have a greater impact than they might if they just were putting out words on paper yeah. it's it's I, twitch is a platform for criticism is an interesting thought because i think um 
a lot of the time, like part of being successful on Twitch is developing a recognizable brand, like something that like the reason people watch you is because they like this thing about the thing that you do. And so you sort of make that your whole thing. Um, I don't know that there are that many of the people doing this kind of critique that you say, because I like I've seen some like on the Giant Bomb channel um, and I, I've seen some people do it. Um, and it's, it's, it's always interesting, but again, like, I think, you know, it's sort of ineffable why people watch you. I don't know. I, you can like reverse engineer it a bunch, but I don't know that it really makes that much sense. But I, I think, I think, yeah, I think Twitch can do things that criticism, like written criticism can't and like video criticism can't because it is live. It is in the moment and people, people in your chat are reacting to the things that you're seeing as you're seeing them. It's not like you're going through it together, which I think changes the dynamic, but I think the, I mean, the, I was the best example I've seen of something that's like, I think like outwardly criticism is um, Robert Yang runs mm. the mm-hmm. Level With Me mm-hmm. stream mm-hmm. where he basically runs through uh, like kind of Source Engine games and talks about, I mean, it's sort of like an older style of level design, but specifically walking through and like doing critique and then it's so like good. listening to people talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. It's so good. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's the other thing too, is that I think there's a, I think that there can be sort of a latent expectation when you're doing that sort of critique that it might have the same audience as like some popular person playing Fortnite. But I think the nice thing about Twitch is that like, it's not like if you're doing critique like that, you need to aspire to have, you know, 40,000 viewers and like, you're probably not right. Like, I don't think it's ever really the case that you're going to be doing critique of something like performatively and then getting a ton of views for it. Unless you're like, you know, Bob Ross or something, (laughs) but this idea of like, there is a platform for it, right. There's a precedent Mm -hmm specifically that has to do with um it's almost like pseudo scripted criticism where you're like i'm gonna do this thing and talk about it and then sort of guide myself based on uh where people are going or something i think that's i think his model is specifically interesting because he's one of the biggest people i've seen do it although josh you mentioned obviously trihex i think the the mario maker community because the game itself lends itself to doing and thinking level design i think a lot of those people also sort of implicitly do crit right. about the levels that they play on from what i've watched from them but it's you know yeah it's a, it's a gradient yeah but it's it's not like the same i mean i who's asking you know who's the anthony fantano of video <laughs> games you know no why would you say something like Bijan that steven <laughs> yeah man if that were my niche that'd be nice I mean, but I do think it's worth asking because like we don't actually have an analog <laughs> to that, you know. The better question is why Anthony Fantano not on Twitch. I think he, I think he might be coming to Twitch according to one of his recent tweets. Yeah, no, he absolutely, he, I, yeah, he did, he did. That's true. Yeah, yeah, he posted about it. I don't like, know the other day or something like that. I think there are a lot of it's there are a lot of format constraints with Twitch because it is live that like don't lend itself to criticism because again, criticism is like you know as a music critic it is something that it like takes a minute to like sift through your feelings and you know the history and all of the other stuff that comes with a piece of music or a piece of media like it, it it's not like you can't just have something in front of you without having like you it's hard to have thoughts in front of people live is is sort of what right. there's a there's a globally music games yeah whatever. yeah because it's like a specific type of criticism that is like it, I don't know what you call it, like live versus. Well, um, no, 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 no. I mean, I'm saying like, I'm saying literally like live on Twitch. Like there's a thing like they call it streamer brain because it's you, like, it's hard <laughs> to do all of the tasks at the same time and to have high level thoughts about the task that you're doing. Like it's, it's, it is a, it's a very difficult niche and I don't think that many people can do it. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I think that's also by and large why there's not that many 
like critics on Twitch because <laughs> it like because criticism is sort of antithetical. Like I guess canonically, criticism is antithetical to what Twitch is. But I, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, I I like digesting art as much as the next person. I think, um, or more than the next person, perhaps. But um, fuck, man, it's been hard to read books, even though like lately during quarantine, I <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I've had trouble reading. I just can't can't do it, do it which is a bummer. Because I feel like I have all this fucking time. I it should be the prime time to read a book. And yet, I mean, whenever you gave I try me the to Pachinko sit down, wreck, which is like was so oh, good. Oh, Pachinko's so fun. Oh, Minjin Lee, nice. But like, yeah, I'm, also I'm, I'm, like I'm ever for, since I'm waiting I... for some more Katie wrecks, but the books aren't flowing Dude. like they used well, to. Well, because yeah, and also since I read Pachinko, I feel like I just like would read like a few chapters. I'm like, it's not as good as Pachinko. <laughs> you know? yeah, like Pachinko's Pachinko is like so like well, ripping from a media. Uh, you should read. Like, I'm looking at I'm looking at my bookshelf right now. You should read Severance if you haven't already. Um, it's by oh god, who's it by? Hold on, Ling Ma. It's fantastic. It's about a it's about a plague uh, that wipes out a mm. lot of the planet. Um, also, if you haven't read, have you read? Doesn't sound relevant. It's so good. Have you read Game Life, the Michael Clune no. book? Okay, this is one of the best books about oh. video games I've ever read. Um, it's it's called Game Life, and the subtitle I think is A Memoir in Video Games, and it's just like, oh, I know this you're ecstatic. About, yeah. I feel like I've heard of this it's, definitely. If you haven't read it, you should read it. It's an ecstatic piece of writing about video games that doesn't feel shitty. Like it's in the same sort of vein as like Tom Bissell's canonical cocaine essay, like because the book. I mean, like I definitely read a few pages of this book in like McNally Jackson. It sounded like a Simon Parkin essay, sort of like distilled into like multiple oh, okay. chapters. No, I, which is no, like, I wouldn't say that. No, fine. no, because it's like it's 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 much that. more joyful right, than that. I love Simon Parkin, but it's much more <laughs> joyful than that. <laughs> I want to read Simon Parkin's book. Yeah, I he just put he just put a, to read list for a while. Yeah, he just put that out. Um. Yeah. But Michael Clune's earlier book, I had the good fortune of meeting him once. I was very drunk and I was like, oh my God, I love your work. And then we went out to dinner. But um, <laughs> I think he, the book before Game Life that he wrote was called, I think it was like, it was like Whiteout. And it was a memoir of him doing heroin in his grad program at Johns Hopkins when he was getting his PhD in English. Oh it is one, that is one of the greatest books I've ever read. Like that is fucking fantastic and he brings the same sort of energy i mean grad school it is a whole like great yeah. chapter of people just like it's because it's always like it's like people who are like slightly broken and they're like late right. 20s like going through an ex- intense experience that's like got the academic surrounding it's, it's like a very potent mix of interesting <laughs> right drama. but he was literally doing heroin the entire time and like and you're doing heroin the, it's the, a good it's a good there, i remember it was like chapter four <laughs> that was just like yes heroin is that good why do you think i'm writing a book about it and i was like damn <laughs> <laughs> Homie laid it all on the table and he brings the same energy to game life. It's just like, yeah, video games are that good. <laughs> like, why would I write a book about them? Um, oh, one thing I wanted to bring up, Bijan, that's around this. And Katie, I want to hear your opinion on this as well. And because uh, Bijan, you said that you published two or I guess some video game pieces for the New mm-hmm. Republic specifically, yes. right? Yes, yes, yes. So I think that one thing, and Katie, I, I mentioned you specifically because you kind of do this sort of like headhunting a little bit for US Gamer and try to find in like, cool new freelancers and i think that's something that we've observed on like bad end is how much good writing about video games specifically is starting to appear in other places that's like not what you would consider good like well not good um what you would not consider traditional publications yeah yeah exactly it's like oh someone's writing an interesting piece on the new republic about video games are they interested in writing for us gamer and like katie i don't know like what your experience is with working with people that have kind of like I wouldn't even call it like jumping over, but like what, what's it like sort of working with a writer who publishes stuff that's like might get featured more in like, you know, real life or like the outline RIP or like the new Republic or something 
versus someone who just kind of is writing for, uh, you know, US Gamer exclusively or like wrote for Polygon and The Verge and all that stuff. Or not The Verge. Um, sorry, I Polygon mean, largely I do just work with games or technology only writers. Like there have been a few people who pitch me like profiles on like a developer or a studio that work traditionally it with outside work and sometimes i have to like rein them in it's like hey you don't have to hold people's hands as much because we are like a gaming focused outlet so you don't have to like explain literally everything like they may have to with like a bigger outlet um more more general thing um so it's like definitely like different but i feel like mostly i work with a lot of writers who do work mostly with tech and gaming so i don't have to rein them back as much um and whatnot um but when it comes to like headhunting it's really just like i just read a lot of sites and like what they're publishing on a freelance basis and if i like something i will reach out to the writer and be like hey you should pitch me um and sometimes it doesn't like sometimes they don't pitch me sometimes they pitch me and it just doesn't get approved for like either budget reasons or just like you know regular reasons um but yeah it's like i like when i took over our freelance stuff in 2017 i'm trying to remember the time uh when i became features editor it was more like i at first i was kind of like going to people i already knew so it was like you know i was like reaching out like reed mccarter who we work with um at superculture right. um and just like people i already like knew and worked with that when i was a freelancer um and then like realized i'm being too insular with this i need to be reaching out to people i don't already know um so i like made an earnest effort to like read like unwinnable is like a great resource for finding new writers because it's like where a lot of people are getting their start now um also like other like niche like micro blogs in that similar respect um like kihun chan's like a great writer who i discovered via unwinnable they started pitching me and they like pitch like very like hyper local like east asian not not japanese but like china hong kong's like singapore like that that sort of area like focused articles which i think are very relevant especially like all the time and no one is really reporting that from that location and from that lived in perspective because they're from there um so uh very much i i like for a publication that's called u.s US gamer like united states gamer like i try to (laughs) i try to have like not just american writers all the time i try to not just have like white dudes writing for us um i'm like trying to make like a better effort to it's a good fight right there you know like diversified a bit and like i i'll admit like i don't have the budget to be like 100 percent being like publishing like only like like people not in america and everything um because like yeah like even though my team's very international like we have someone in canada (laughs) we have multiple people in the uk like we're very much like a very diverse team um like uh we're very women dominated which i think is pretty rare for most gaming publications but it's still i don't know it's it's definitely just i keep my eye on who's getting traction out there like who's who's getting published like what are are there articles like speaking to something that i can't speak to or my writers can't speak to already like i really like really value like perspectives that are not the norm something that we can't cover already you know like i like we can write about like people doing hong kong protests and animal crossing but like we can't report on that in a way that feels right you know sure. if that makes sense you know it's like so i'm gonna seek out a writer and someone pitched me on that so i like, sure. publish them so it's, it's very much i from that perspective i i try to do that i could definitely be better there's always room for improvement but also a very small budget so i'm only commissioning like a few articles a month and trying to pay fairly for it so it's like i literally can only do like two to three pieces a month the editor so struggle. i am re- 
Yeah, it's like, and and I can't, and I'm also like writing every day, and I'm also doing all this oh, other God. stuff and editing the staff, and I'm doing like a lot at once. So it's it's definitely like a hard thing to balance, and I I kind of wish I wasn't like the dream is to be in a role where I my only job is to seek out freelancers. You know, my only job is to edit freelance work, seek out writers that uplift people, mentor people, that sort of thing. Um, but I don't have the bandwidth to do that because I, uh, and I also like that I wouldn't have much to do because it's kind of like more of my job is like every day I'm doing something different. That's kind of the cadence of my job role right now. Um, and for an editor, like I know a bigger publications, like if you're managing freelance, that's typically all you're doing. Like, I think that's all the features editor at Polygon does really is like he writes like one article a year, but otherwise he's just managing <laughs> their freelance budget because that's a full-time job on you, its own. Like they're a much about, bigger publication. Do you want to hear about the, uh, the dark seat? Yeah. I mean, you're right. No, it's, there's no dark secret. That's it. the budgets are bigger yeah the budgets are bigger it's like really it it's like my the most i ever got paid was from a review i wrote for polygon it was like 550 oh no okay crazy yeah um yeah no journalism is is remarkably unfair especially in games journalism it's just like no one no one has any money to pay for anything yeah uh it's like it's sites like the verge and polygon that like can do it but i mean also like I don't know, like, for example, The New Yorker only pays 250 bucks for every web piece. So, like, Simon Parkin, for example. Really? 250 Yeah, we can cut this part out, but yeah. <laughs> but, you Dude, know, that's like, because like, that's like a dream, right? It's like to be public. That's like the, that's every writer, I feel like, dream. Yeah, well, like, I think it's because so you're getting like a book deal that's if you publish enough. Like 250 no, that's the web, that's oh the web rate for freelancers. Yeah. Um, unless they bumped it up, which that's I crazy. don't think they did. But, like, staff writers, The New Yorker, should, do I, should, mm, we should cut this out. Um, but staff writers <laughs> of the New Yorker, like the, the standard contract is for $90,000 a year without health insurance. Which is like not great. That's not great. That's not yeah. great. So, I mean, 90000 is way more than I make, but also without benefits. That's, without benefits. <laughs> and I, that's like, I guess on? like that's like 40 of that to go. Sorry, into, like, I, I, I know I know all of the magazine's secret sauce, or I used to at least. I'm, you know, sort of uh, <laughs> been put out to pasture it, in a way. I think it's interesting for for you specifically, like I think. I think like we as people who kind of come from, I mean, kill screen kind of like straddled the line. Right. But I think that right. we mostly, well, I think we read everything I would say for, in terms of like what people typically read. I think we do read a lot of stuff. Like we yeah. would see something in like the new Republic or whatever, but like, I think you specifically are an interesting case because I, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but you sort of like carved this, like, I don't want to say Simon Parkin as like the only model for this, but someone who writes about video games seemingly exclusively for non-trade publication stuff yeah. like i don't know if i've ever seen your writing in kotaku or like anything like that you're specifically like oh i'm writing for other a general audience yeah 100 yeah, yeah i guess is that like do you feel like that's something that you've proactively decided to do because no. of how you want to write or no i mean I, it, basically what i figured out was like i mean i liked video games and i like knew the the people that i knew all like didn't know anything about video games so i was like hey i want to explain this to you so like aside from the, the that piece i did for topic like one of the pieces I'm more proud of from, you know, being a young writer was um, I wrote a piece for for the Virginia Quarterly Review that was like a very similar. Um, and that's like a that's like a literary journal that like people care about sometimes. Like, right. It's like a very small thing. But um, it was about like the arcade near my house. Next Level Arcade, which is done in Sunset Park, which uh, I don't know if you're in the fighting game scene, but it's huge there. It's a huge like magic spot. But it's like it's one of the things where like. Like, I was proud of it because I was, like, writing about things that, like, I was writing about gaming, but writing about things that weren't gaming. And I think, like, it's a niche that I occupied only because I was, like, I want to talk to other people about this. I don't want to just talk to video game people. 
like right. and, and it's not because it like i thought that was bad it was just because like those were the people i knew and like i don't know i was like basically my whole crusade has been hey you like video games you just don't know it yet like straight up <laughs> <laughs> because like i think everybody's a gamer like i don't I, I really i really believe that i think the advent of cell phones turned everybody into like a person who interacts with games every day and it's not like or smartphones not cell phones well i guess maybe cell phones snake snake yeah snake snake tetris you know that came bundled on every nokia but i i, I do think i mean i think I, I feel like there is a niche for that kind of thing. But again, like the writing is a lot different. And I think, you know, the, like the mainstream and game, like mainstream publications and game publications don't interact that much yet. But I think that's going to keep happening in the future. I think it's going to be a thing that happens more and more. I don't know, though. I don't know. A hundred percent. Because like The Verge has a game section, but like our game stuff is all about like it's all it's not made for game audiences. Right. Like it, it's I I. I I think that there is basically but I would say it's like Polygon interacting with the Verge though, right? That's the Verge's game section. No, it's not. Polygon is a totally different thing. We have a whole yeah, separate game right. section. That's kind of my point though, right? It's the fact that like someone like the Verge is well, more inclined to publish a piece that's about gaming than like cross post something from Polygon necessarily because well, the I tone mean, is different, right? Well, the it's tone a different is different audience that reads exactly. Polygon versus reads the game section. But I do think because gaming is becoming much more like, like it's, it's, it's in the mainstream consciousness. It's like a thing that people understand and agree with. Cause we, right. we've, we've had like, now we're like what three, Oh my God, that's a Gatorade water bottle. We're like the old school ones <laughs> that I used to use. We're like three generations into like people who grew up with gaming, right? Like we, we are like, that's right. Like we're at the point where it's cultural saturation from the bottom up. And I think, you know, like mainstream publications are realizing this and starting to try and deal with this. Um, and like, I don't know, it's, it's just interesting because like, this is why you see all those pieces in the New York times about like, Oh, I'm regressing because I'm playing video games during quarantine because it's like the times is trying to get into gaming because they've done like a few one-off amazing pieces from freelancers who are from the gaming world who can transition over to mainstream stuff. But it's like, the reason they're even running those pieces in the first place is because they they know that there's an audience for this stuff, and that is the the shift I think that we're that is starting to happen. Like at yeah, least, and we're seeing and with the Washington Post too, like they yeah, felt launcher, like they have yeah. launcher now, so it's like they're putting a lot of stock in games coverage. I'm honestly like haven't even read anything they've done. Like I don't, I know it's a few good. people that work there, but yeah, my like friend, I, I know, yeah, my friend Chris is uh, Chris Bird, who's a great writer, is like one of the lead critics there. Um, and he's great. Like he's like a he's like a literary writer, dude. Like you know, and like he's been writing about video games, but has been trying to do this project. And is like, I feel like only now starting to like get that kind of mainstream. Like like the Washington Post like sort of knew that they needed a video games person, but like only ambiently. And now it's I think more and more urgent now that like you know every like I think the the societal shift that we're living through is like everyone has to be inside now. What are inside yeah. pursuits? It's like television, movies, video games. Like, what else is there? Well, the other um, thing that is crazy to me that is is the other thing is like specifically podcasts. And I was like amazed yeah. to open up the new print version of the New Yorker. I guess this past week, and then and they're like, you know, the the goings on about town at the very start. Yeah, of course. They have like movies, theater, music, and they had a fucking section for podcasts. And I was like, holy shit! The New Yorker is specifically calling out like podcasts that people are listening to. And I think that something like what. Washington Post is doing with the launcher and that other people are doing as well in their own forms is a sort of like moving out of this hegemony of the idea that people who talk about video games or people who are specifically like games journalists who are writing, I mean, enthusiast press is like the 
the derogatory term thrown around. I think it's specifically this trade idea of press like, is the real trade term. press. Like this idea that games journalism is always specifically trade press. I think that before there were examples of this model like not being the thing. But now I think what you're seeing is that there's actually two models emerging. There is still trade press, you know, but it's the same way like the New Yorker will publish a food review, but you don't have to read like Bon Appetit magazine to learn about food. Right. It's that, Although Bon App is a bad example because they're mainstream now. <laughs> sure. But, yeah. right, but, but it's like you don't have to subscribe to Bon Appetit if you want to read about a food right. review. It'll be like inside of your even like local newspaper or something. So this idea of two models emerging now. I don't know if that I, I, that's always been the case. I think I, I, I want to push back on that a little bit because like local sure. papers have always run restaurant reviews and food reviews and stuff. But like, I think that there is a difference between the trade press and the mainstream press. But I also think that like the mainstream press is becoming a lot more sensitive to those nuances, like because they're sure, starting sure. to acquire people from trade presses. And then because it's like it's hard to go one way and easier to go the other way. I think it's easier to go from a trade press to a mainstream press than from a mainstream press to a trade press because you suddenly like the things you care about in a mainstream press are suddenly very different, but they're like, you just have to think less because you're like, who is reading this? Right. Um, but I don't know. I feel like I could, I, you know, like you could pitch something like you could pitch a games thing, like to like pitchfork. I don't know. There was, there was an, uh, one essay that I wrote that was killed by the New York times magazine, but it was about, uh, the soundtrack to streets of rage Two. It was going to be like a, a letter of recommendation because I think that soundtrack is sublime it's fantastic mm -hmm. but like that's games writing for a mainstream audience right and like right. yeah and it was it's one of those things where it was like yeah this like they were like this is good enough to be published and then you know sort of i fucked it up not really it was like we, we like <laughs> we like sort of like reached a point where it was like it was like oh this is probably not right for the publication but like they paid me a kill fee anyway so i was like oh that's you know fine. i'll take it <laughs> whatever but, but I think like your point too is like i was gonna say specifically like you look at publications that like because like the kind of like I say hegemony and I mean it and don't totally mean it, but like uh, specifically trade press as the form of games critique. I think you see people that used to publish that used to publish for these things that like clearly were doing pieces that like didn't make sense for trade press. And like in all the ways that people would get like mad because someone's saying that like we should consider politics in video games or something like to someone who's on the outside yeah. of that, they'd read that and they're like, Oh yeah, this makes sense. But to someone who's like expecting like, you know, an out of 10 score for graphics, gameplay and sound is going to be like, fuck you trying to talk about like why this game is political. This doesn't belong in my trade press magazine. Yeah. And I think those people struggled traditionally. And I think that people like, I mean, us gamer, like Katie, what you guys are doing, also, I think like Rock Paper Shotgun is a good example who have started like fostering voices, but even still, like some of the pieces that go up, like Katie, you guys published that piece on the, um, you interviewed uh, Red Candle Games who just did Devotion and then the game oh, before I didn't, that. I didn't do that. Or the US Gamer published it specifically. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. It's yeah, like that is a that, thing yeah. that like, oh, that would make sense elsewhere as like a, you know, the same way that it's fun to like learn how a movie is made, like learning about like how a you know, a banned video game is made is a story that appeals to like a mainstream mm -hmm. audience and maybe has some crossover to trade press. But at the same time, like that's like those things are still sort of like one-offs and you've even spoken before about like you used to run this column that was talking about like, you know, weird indie music as well as like small games. And it like just didn't get traction because people cared more about like how to get all the achievements in Assassin's Creed. So I think this yeah. idea <laughs> of these things sort of like spreading out and saying like, oh there's more options to I'm publish that aren't just the main thing now gives people yeah. who were interested in writing more of this sort of non-traditional trade published stuff a route to publish things that are like pretty actually standard in like mainstream press that like makes sense for them i'm also trying i to mean how we kind of phrase it is like i'm kind of in charge of the prestige stuff so the stuff that people might want to like come and read or whatever but like those things 
realistically never do crazy traffic. They'll never like one of my best performing right. articles recently was me complaining about people cheating in Animal Crossing and thinking that's <laughs> stupid and like defeats the purpose of the game. And that one did bonkers traffic. I wrote it in like two hours. You know, it's like one of those like one off like I'll just like you know here's an Animal Crossing take for the day because let me it was, fire like, up a thought. It, yeah, yeah, exactly. It was just like a quick. It could have been a tweet turned to an article like that's usually how my office happen is i tweet or I post something in slack and then that turns into an article somehow that's, so it's like that's everybody. that's just how it is yeah exactly <laughs> it's always like that's how it's like that's how i workshop my pitches it's like my loose like daily stuff. i don't think like, i've ever here's a pitched blog. before a daily thing before it's just like oh, got really? a blog got a blog yeah you just gotta you just gotta do it yeah it's kind of like it's weird like we kind of like have like a weekly start thing of like okay here's loosely what we have for the week and then we have like stuff that we're playing by ear like obviously shit happens we react to it um or like whatever we're playing we react to that so it's like but i also host like daily meetings where i kind of like hash out with my writers like okay what are what are y'all doing oh yeah what's our plan so it's like but yeah it's definitely not like a formal like when i was freelancing like okay here's what i'm writing here are the people i've lined up for interviews like blah blah blah. it's definitely not like that but um yeah i forgot where i was going with that train of thought i loved it uh, josh had a question (laughs) oh i'm trying to think of people who move from the um trade press to become writers for more general publications because I feel like a lot of the time, Matt Margini, our boy, man. Uh, but oh, Kill yeah. Screen, he, you know, he, I feel Kill like Screen he was also. It doesn't sort of necessarily in fit in there, no, but Jamin, like Jamin was, Jamin was just an elitist, and I agree with him. Like <laughs> he was straight up just like, hey, like we have good, we're we're doing good writing about video games, and I remember a lot of those people. A lot of those people are just like writing really good shit about video games. Fucking Zach Kotzer wrote for my blog the other day. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was great. I was like, "Damn, this guy's Zach's great." This guy slaps. Yeah, yeah. I mean, friend of the, the show, show Tim Rogers. I feel like is like ripe for being picked up by mainstream. Oh. He's got to just figure out how to like write for I mainstream mean, people. He no, uh, he just needs I to keep making videos because they're perfect. No, he's his Final Fantasy yeah. video is like, gonna be three hours long. I'm so excited. But you know, that's like my day like, tomorrow. Like so much like the new Tim Rogers video. He's got that like uh, that like dfw energy you know like that could just like go and like write something and so, yeah. like, like i think i think of the difference they should the- replace simon parkin with tim rogers is this, this a dunking like- on simon parkin podcast because no, no, no i like simon I like work a lot no yeah, he's, he's amazing. amazing we're all fans of i simon love his entitled simon parkin if you're listening to this podcast love to have you on but specifically the new yorker published this big piece on magic the gathering and it's like 20 year anniversary or something or third 25 like uh it was about a year ago and it was like fine. It was like a cool piece. Um, it was just like talking about like magic stuff, but I'm imagining this sort of like long form journalism about a single game and giving it to someone like Tim, like that has a very different tone that has more like DFW going to a tennis match. Vibe See, than okay. Like here's the fucking thing happening. about magazines that you're referencing like that shit that like, first of all, D- DFW made up a bunch of shit. A B like sure. he so had very Tim, permissive editors great. because they were like this guy's a genius and that doesn't happen <laughs> almost at all like no one thinks you're a fucking genius no editor no thinks one. you're a genius because you're not no. most of the time unless you're very Everyone's fucking a dumbass, special including like, me as an editor I'm bro, also a dumbass I, I like, <laughs> like, the, the only Gonzo shit I've ever gotten in publications is when it's like been personal where it's like uh like i wrote a piece for wired years ago and I was just like they tried to rewrite the personal essay section well this was this was old wired old wired was uh, what they would do I've was they stories. would write, yeah. they would rewrite your stuff. 
So like you'd send a draft in and they would go through four editors and you get it back and it was just totally different. Uh, <laughs> and I remember nearly pulling the piece because I was like, you'll fuck this. Like, absolutely not. You can't rewrite my own experiences for me. Get fucked. Um, and like, you know, I got to like do that stuff. And then there was like, I don't know, like I wrote, I mean, I profiled Donald Glover for Esquire and it was just like, my editor was like, you got this and trusted me. And I was like, oh no, bro. Oh no. I'm out, I'm out of the deep end. I branded myself successfully. I don't know if that's good, you know? And I, I don't know that there's like, I, I think I'm starting to think I've been thinking about, I've been thinking about writing a lot just like, cause that's, that's my job, but also it's like what I do for fun <laughs> recreationally. Uh, it's like, I think the things that are genius that happen are mostly accidental. It's just like, you're like, you never know what you have until you see it. And it's hard to see it while you're in it, but editors can see what you're doing while you're in it. And they usually know what's good and what's not, but like, it takes, I don't know. I think, I think again, most, most things that are good take time to create because you have to like think all the way through them because writing is just thinking on a page. But yeah, anyway, my point is, uh, no, dude, David Foster Wallace, not, 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 you can't, you can't compare people to him. Cause it's like, it's very specific. I don't know. Like, I, I don't know. I, I've met a lot of, I know a lot of really fantastic, fantastic writers. And it's just like, even now, like those people are still stifled. Like you still have to like find the opportunities. Sure. 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 To do good I mean, stuff. The other thing I think about too, like is the, I mean, Josh, to your question specifically, I would actually question how many trade writers want to write for other things well, if they knew how much it's like, if they knew how much it paid they would maybe right but it's like i think some people just like want to review final fantasy 7 and that's like what they want and i'm not trying to malign those people or say no, like no, what they want to do is not that but the fact that like i think the sort of jumping from trade publication to mainstream implies that you sort of went to trade and then like discovered a love for writing and then wanted to go mainstream but i think well, a lot of people who want to go mainstream will just like you Bijan, right it's like you're like oh, i'll just go this direction well to start. I, I don't need i don't need a detour through kotaku or something well, else so, to get so there. It, but like i don't think it, it wasn't even a yeah you're you're i think you're right i mean i think i think you're right people who write for trade publications generally just want to write for trade publications which is fine like i'm totally fine totally fine yeah and what i i mean what i wanted to do is i just wanted to like you know like write things that were literary and that were cool and so i like started hanging out with those people and it was like you know like it was that's the stuff that i sort of fell into but like it didn't negate any of my interests right so like i guess that's the other way of coming at it but like again i think most publications return to the mean like there's no like like there is a reason that there's a sure. house voice like it, it like there is like things get flattened for very specific reasons because they're, you're serving a very specific audience. And I don't think that's necessarily bad, but it does sort of squish the range of things that you can write about because like, you know, like stuff that you write for a blog, like for example, the all rest in peace is different than stuff that you'd be able to write for like the verge because there's like a higher bar of like, you know, like sometimes you get fact checked, right? Like it's like that's stuff that like, and it doesn't mean like, and it's not just fact checking. It's like, there's like an editorial voice and there's like a thing that most publications want you to do. And like they mm. edit you towards. And I think, you know, like the most sublime pieces of writing get around that constraint, but like those are few and far between because most stuff isn't good enough to get around that constraint. That said, print publications pay like a dollar a word, so you should get on that shit. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, man, I want to write for a print. The a most print publication. The most I've ever gotten paid was $2.25 a word. 
I've been watching Sex in the City lately because I'm at that dark time in quarantine where I'm like, I, I might as well watch Sex in the City. Show is, that show is good, dude. It's also, really good. Yeah. Carrie? And but the, there's a so I'm at the season right now where Carrie started working for Vogue mm-hmm. uh away from her newspaper column and they're like ta- she's like, I'm getting paid like twenty five cents a word or something, and I'm like that sounds good or no You're like, like a dollar 25 and i was like what the heck good. that's yeah. so much yeah and i was like what the heck that's like what just for a thousand words you're making so much money and it's just she was like complaining about it and it's just like such a like i would die yeah, <laughs> yeah like so a thousand for one article <laughs> like what the thing about it is is like to get into the weeds of fucking writing shit uh word rates haven't increased since like the 60s which is why like that's uh, like so like inflation has negated basically all those gains um mm-hmm. also well, the, the same thing, like, real wages haven't gone mm-hmm. up in like long ass well, the same thing is like real real wages generally have not gone up yes. since like the 60s yes. yeah. but like the the reason that our writers and freelance writers don't have a union like tv writers do is because writers are getting paid like five bucks a word and you know if you get paid five bucks a word why would you want a union is their thinking i think they should have had both but I mean, this is why this is why television <laughs> writing is in a much healthier state is because like they unionized and they like they now they like make fourteen thousand dollars a week depending on your like fucking whatever episode rate. I there was a there was a spreadsheet going around a few years ago about um, TV writers uh, talking about their pay anonymously, and it, it circled around media in New York, and everyone was sick because like, <laughs> I was like what the fuck like, wait, there were people that. there were a lot of people making fourteen thousand dollars a week like that's not a joke that's a real that's salary nuts. but like, i guess like when you think about it, it's like those how many weeks is it really i mean i guess it depends on the show like some shows are 10 like, weeks like, okay 12, 12 and done yeah it's like yeah but also yeah it's like then sure. you have to work for the rest of the year <laughs> like, josh's face right now fuck. is like why am i not writing for tv <laughs> This yeah, is Josh, you're in a prime po- you're in prime position. You I'm in just, LA, baby. Yeah, let's go. LA, you're man, in LA. Just go to no, just drive up to Hollywood up. right now. It's time. It's time. It's time for you. Get those dri- spec scripts ready, bub. Yeah, holy shit. <laughs> drive up to the, the fucking Hollywood sign. And then uh, yeah, dude, something just, happens. Just, 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 yeah, just wait true. for a gust of wind and throw your spec scripts in the air. Hope someone sees the pilot. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Takes it down. They're like, I gotta get this Joshua Calixto. Let me find you. <laughs> All right. What up? Okay. Um, not to change the subject, but please do. Video We're games. Pretty for our field. Video games, everyone. Um, y'all played something interesting that I had actually hadn't even heard of. You guys were talking about it before the episode, and I'm like, what the hell is this game? Omarangi Generation. Ooh. Let's go. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I love the the title screen. Omarangi. Right when it's it starts good. every time. <laughs> Um, I've only booted it up once, actually. <laughs> oh, it's great. It's like, oh I'm going to boot it up again this weekend. It starts, but yeah. I extremely fuck with it. Uh, I only f- heard about it. You want to describe it real, real right quick? Oh, yeah, sure. It's a, it, it's a first person shooter, but it's a camera shooter. So you, you take pictures. Um, <laughs> but you're in future New Zealand. Uh, a catastrophe has happened. It is gorgeous. Um, and you're a photographer and a delivery man. So you take pictures and then you deliver a package and it, it's, the story, it's weird. It uses it uses environmental storytelling to great effect. It does. It's a uh, it's interesting, Josh. I think you'd actually really like it because it's um listen, I think B John, you just hit on like one of my biggest I have like a list of notes of things I've thought about this game. It might turn into a blog post at some point, but um <laughs> Who's paying for blogs right now, bro? 
Nobody. It's my own. It's for my own personal brand. Actually, would you like How to? How is it for fun? Would you like to write it for indoorvoices.blogspot.com? Sure. Is that your blog? Yeah. I'm uh, so yeah, I'll do it. Did I, did I tell you I started a quarantine blog? I started a quarantine blog with a couple friends. Um, <laughs> I started a it, podcast, started a blog, started streaming, just trying to do everything to see what sticks. Well, no, no. The podcast started last November. The is it streaming sticking? started earlier than that. Uh, but the blog is new. <laughs> the blog, <laughs> the blog is, is uh, a few friends and I editing it, but it's like, it's really, it's really good. I have to say, I'm not tooting my own horn right now. I'm not tooting my own horn because other people worked on it, but fucking good blog, man. Guys, you just listen, listeners, you just heard how business happens in the media industry. Um, but I want to say my, I want to say my notes yeah, so, so specifically, Josh, I think you would really like this game. Katie, I think you would like it too, but Josh, I know you <laughs> an outspoken fan as well of Blendo games. Um, this game has got like big Blendo energy specifically mm. in the fact that I think through like what Bijan said about environmental storytelling, it does the sort of like Blendo style environmental storytelling, which I figured out what it is through playing this game, which is specifically like the, the the structure set out by Brendan Chung of Blendo Games and like Quadrilateral Cowboy, Gravity Bone, um, maybe Skin Deep. Uh, 30 Fights. And 30 Fights of Loving. Yeah. Is this the sort of like the, the conceit of like how you build a compelling story with environment stuff is that you have the player do a very specifically mundane action or like very small actions and then like change the scenery a lot around them. So like basically the scenery that's actually telling the story of... Uh, what's going on in the world is kind of like pivoting off the fact that with the player's action is constant. So like in Fitzpackerton or something, you're like just doing the sort of packing thing, but the context in which you're doing the thing is changing similar to sort of like gravity bone where you're like doing sort of like very small, like, Oh, touch this thing, but like it's in a different environment. So you have a limited kind of um, like a limited move set or limited ways to do stuff, but the context in which you're doing it starts to tell the story so Umarangi generation does this in the sense that you as a player are just sort of like taking photos, but what you're taking photos of is changing per level. Right. And because like the action that you have is like specifically this, this you're looking, right? You're looking through a camera at what's going on, watching the environment change is sort of implicitly telling the story, despite the fact there's like no dialogue or anything. It's more, I mean, it's, it's implied in the sense that no one is explicitly well, telling you what's going but it's also on, but like, obviously literally, you're seeing it's happening. written literally on the walls of the video game. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's a whole different thing we could talk about. But yeah, it's definitely written literally it's, like, it's that's, like both good and bad environmental storytelling. Right? It, but it's it, it, like the setting is good. It makes the setting, the context makes it good. But that game is great. I, I am. I was surprised. I, I heard about it because uh, of Austin Walker. Shouts to him, the goat. Um yeah and i was just like holy shit this game's amazing and i i remember it feels like it feels like jet set radio future uh filtered through yeah. pokemon snap which is was 100%. how it was just exactly sounds, how it was that's just, a great comparison <laughs> yeah i mean it was how it was described to me and it was not wrong i was like hey this game slaps it's 15 bucks it's on steam it came out like right now like on the 22nd so like what day is yeah, i it was what like it was 24th two, it was like two or three days ago 24th i don't no, know today is the 24th Oh, so uh, maybe four days ago, the twentieth, I think, is when it came out. Um, but yeah, it's one of those games that like uh, it feels really special because it feels really small. It feels really it. It's definitely an indie, but it feels like it. It feels like there's a lot of love put into it. One of the things that was really striking to me about it was the soundtrack. It was by oh, this the person. Soundtrack fucking rips, man! It's so it's, good. It's by this person who calls themselves Thor High Heels, uh, and they're. 
I think they're they're like, they're, they're a used... good they're like a YouTube essayist. Yeah, but their their SoundCloud username is like Adolf something. It's like it's fucked up, but it's like the music <laughs> slams. I was the music so is mad. So good. The I music is like, like Hotline Miami again. It's like it's like it's like that sort of like Hotline wait, Miami we, level. Let me see like, if I can find it. So Astrid loves Thor High Heels. There is some talking yeah. about Thor High Heels in our uh, Discord. Adolf Namura is their name on SoundCloud. Oh my god! Which is like <laughs> I don't Jesus I don't Christ. agree. It, it feels the same way as PC Master Race, and I don't like that yeah. either. Yeah, yeah, However, yeah. these shits are bangers. Like, <laughs> and there's like a lot. Like, there's I think the game in total has. So I, I just beat it right before the podcast. I think it has like ten levels. No, it like has eight or oh ten eight? levels. Though. Ten levels total, yeah. But like each level has like twelve songs in it yeah like it's it's great like you're listening to it you're like there's so much good music just like stuffed into this game that's just non-stop like and and i guess it it loops sometimes but like (laughs) bijan did you get to the um the the metro level where it had like the guy's mixtape but he called it a bitch tape no it's so good i love that <laughs> he's like it's my mixtape but i mean a bitch tape you'll but like there was, it i got to there, the one that i loved was the downtown level where the sun is just fucking red in the sky oh, yeah, and yeah, like yeah, yeah. you have to take a picture of like seven signs that say gamer on them at yeah. once yeah. oh that's one with all the street racing cars in it right yeah toyota supers baby um no it, was, it the game is the game is brilliant the i remember the the sky in this level was red or the sun was red and it was like a bunch of like young people sort of dancing and sa- sitting around, but it was like clear that the world had gone through some tragedy and I was totally taken in by it. I was like, wow, this is amazing. Cause like all of the, the graffiti in this like downtown space and like the underground, like sub boarded up subway tunnels was just like, fuck the UN. And I was like, damn, yeah, yeah, yeah. some shit went down. <laughs> you know, if the UN sends its peacekeepers anywhere, shit's really popping off. Like that's, you know, world defense force number one. Um, but yeah, I won't spoil the game, but, it's honestly like the setup and the the like when you figure out what's going on is so like the, the the time between those things is perfect i think it took it's like a maybe 45 minutes between like the first level and like the fourth level which is when you figure out like what actually happened um and it's like you know seated from the first level and like no one ever talks about it like you there's large I, I think there's largely no direction on how to approach the game which i kind of enjoyed um although that said i was streaming it and so austin walker was in the chat and he'd already played the game so he was like helping me like figure out like the language of the game because every game has its own sort of like nomenclature right, right, using. Right. but i i fucking loved it man uh i would my only criticism would be like uh the movement is hard it's like it's like not quite as like nothing is quite as smooth as you want it to be um hmm. but like again it's like i think a single developer like sort of like truly like truly indie game which i hate saying truly indie game because that feels like stick like it feels like a stigma <laughs> that i'm like playing into and i don't like that true because, yeah. because like obviously more people than one worked on it and like they should also be credited <laughs> but that game fucking slaps you should play it you should all play it i have like i, I really want it's, to. It's, it's interesting to think about just like the i don't know like i have i mean i have i have thoughts on it i'm interested to hear like what you think about like the and, at the risk of excluding Josh and Katie specifically, but um, you're doing it. Like I'm You've doing it. I'm gonna do it a little bit, but You've like heard. some of the like it's it's weird seeing like you see like the fuck the UN stuff and like it seems like it. Uh, it's hard. I don't know how to explain this. Like it's it's weird looking at some of the stuff in the game because it feels like in some senses it's like 
it's like pantomiming sort of like uh like ways that you know like the dsa or like antifa will talk about other sides of like um like talk about like fascists or whatever yeah but like kind of but like pasting it into this framework no but not I, necessarily mm. doing like the work for you as a player to understand why someone would go I totally inside this world to that. say something similar I totally just yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm interested to hear what you say because yeah. like, I was I was interested to like play it and be like oh it's just like it feels like generic rebellion no sort but of it, like so yes attached, attacking something I, I see what you're saying and, and I don't think you're wrong because it does like I mean I think without the specificity of the thing that happened in the world without knowing that and that's the big spoiler which I'm not right. gonna spoil like it doesn't make sense but with that it's like yeah I mean cops aren't there for you it, like it, it comes from the place where, like it's New Zealand and it's Maori specifically which is like right. again like a, a class of people that has been oppressed in New Zealand for a very long time and that's like that's the energy it's coming with that's why it's like fuck the cops cops can't protect you because like that's the experience of the people who like inspired this game um and yeah, I, was just I don't know anything about um, the developer but like I mean I think I think it I appreciated it because it comes from this framework where like yeah like the people who are put in charge of protecting you can't protect you from the like they can't protect you from themselves because these people are largely by and large bad. Like, you know, it's like it, it gets down to the heart of the thing where it's like when I call the cops, like I won't I would rather not call the cops because like I might die. Right. Whereas like a right. lot of people call the cops because it's like the cops help them. And that's not ever been my experience. And I think like it maybe feels generic rebellion because like that stuff maybe goes unrecognized but it felt very specific to me it felt very like like it felt like the characters in the game were very much they like they were like part of this class is what it felt like it felt like you know like the, the game was nodding to a lot of historical precedent and that's why i found it very convincing when it was like you know fuck the un fuck the cops because it's not just generic rebelling when it's your whole everyday experience and like that's exactly what the game was gesturing at there was um I was reading it before this this podcast recording as well that um I think the two major places I've seen I guess the well was, uh, our Deep Hell wrote about the game a little bit but then mm -hmm. also No Escape VG wrote a little profile on it and they specifically on No Escape pointed to um the Twitter for the developer that does this game mm -hmm. and that the developer like I think as a Maori person I think I I couldn't actually confirm that but like they've been retweeting a lot of maori people specifically responding yeah. to the game and sort of like painting nuance to a lot of these things that i haven't had a chance to like so, dig into yeah which i'm really interested to do because of a lot of what you're talking about where it's like i think there's like it's it's some of the same thing that i mean it reminds me of a lot of the discussion around like when parasite was coming out and like actual people who are from that culture were like oh these are things that you right. like white american person are not going to pick up on so i'm interested to dive in and see yeah. like, oh like this is this is responding to a cultural context that i actually don't have any I don't have any knowledge of this. This, yeah. is, this is responding to something that I don't know. And so I'm interested in learning more about that. My first impression is playing. It was exactly what I said, but I'm interested in yeah. finding a lot of the nuance. Yeah. That, like, I mean, it exists. I think it's, I think it's definitely worth like looking into, but I, it, it feels like it's, it's really interesting. Yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, cause I think, I think like moonlight, for example, was like a very specific slice of the black experience, but it did this, it, it did also the universal thing where it was like people could understand what was going on even as they right. understood like the specificity of the movie, even if they didn't get all the nuances. Um, because that, I mean, that's what art does, right? It like, it brings you in and lets you ask questions about what it's doing and where it's coming from. But like anything good is specific, like anything in this sort of vein is specific. And like, I think that game is extremely specific, like down to the name, down to every, like, 
like all of that stuff is indigenous it's not like it's really not like just it's not history free and like that feels that felt very intentional to me at least from like mm. the very like passing things i know about maori people like it, it felt really like you know like it felt like it was like relishing in the specificity and like it knew that people outside of it wouldn't get it like and interesting it, and i and i i think that's actually a it felt like a really smart choice by the developer like i was like damn this is like I see that there, I recognize that there's nuance here and I recognize that I don't understand it. I also want to go learn more, but like, it was one of those things where I was like, hell yeah. Like this is, this, this fits in a tradition of like other art and other artists, like doing this kind of stuff that like, again, appeals to like, I mean, I think, I think the best example of this is just rap, right? Like all of that stuff is extremely specific. The reason that there are localities in rap is because black culture is very specific to different locales. And like, that's the kind, like you can, you get it but you don't get it unless you like know about the thing um and i think that's really cool because I, I i i think that like first of all it pushes people to learn and like because you can just google this shit right like it's not like it's hard to right. find information but like it also like is a signal to and and a thing for people from this culture and like i really respect that i think it's a bold choice on the part of the developer you know trying to release a fucking video game like and like games most games don't get any fucking attention like that's that's like that's the <laughs> thing right like and this is a legitimately good game that has like a like a it's like a cool mechanic it's re like it's very it like interesting looks cool. it looks cool like the puzzles are fun like if if very fucking frustrating but like it's like you know it's a fun world to spend time in <laughs> But it's like it does it, it, it. The fact that it can do all of those things at once is why I think it's a good game and why I like would like to keep playing it. There's definitely and I think it's oh, go ahead, Josh. there's a context of like how a lot of other indie games that are specific to a, a, an experience of any specific ethnicity or what have you, where it's like that's the whole angle of the game is like this is what these people experience like it's an it's it's this from this culture telling the story of this culture and it's all very like explicit about that stuff right. and a lot of the times it felt super like on the nose in in some other past indie games yeah, that was like it, i appreciate what they're doing but they're, they're also pushing against yeah. like the overwhelming whiteness of gaming like gaming is very white and it's like getting less white but it's like it's still like a novelty it's still novel to see like people who aren't white making games like right. this is what Gamergate yeah. was all about, right? Like this is like it's people who weren't white men making games, and it's like the games look different, they feel different, and like we've gotten to the point where it's not like people explicitly calling out their identities when they're making these things, and that I think is like the thing, right? Like people who are like people can be very influenced by their backgrounds and their identities, but they don't have to explicitly say it; they only have to signal now. And it's like you know, like you see all these games on itch, etc. Like this, this kind of stuff is really like it's like this is what i mean by the expansion of the games industry generally like this is like we have much more room for these kinds of narratives and that is i think immeasurably important because again like when you're crafting things and i say this like as a person who like writes for like mostly white editors like as a, like when you're crafting things for the white gaze it's like <laughs> it's hard it's like you have to explain a bunch of stuff and like people ask you to explain and like the fact that these things aren't explaining is political and it is important. And I think that's like, that's the thing that I respect about games like a Morangi generation. It's like, nah, fuck you. If you don't know, you don't know. And that's, and if you do, <laughs> you do, if you know, you know, like that's what that, that's what that whole thing was about. And yeah, I don't know. It's like, it's like, I think we could stand to have more of that in gaming and more of that everywhere else. But like, again, it is mostly white people commissioning these things, funding these things, 
like making these things happen. And like, I don't know. I also think to be fucking fair, uh, who was that producer on Moonlight? Was it like it wasn't it was uh, Annapurna? No, it was a, a very famous white actor, Brad Pitt. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> mm. <laughs> well, I forgot I that he was producer on that. that. Yeah. Brad Pitt fucking. Wait, was it? Was it him? Brad Pitt was, was a producer him? on some movie. That no, was it was it was like... Moonlight. Yeah, it was Moonlight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Brad Pitt Brad Pitt funds like black films because Brad Pitt slaps. Like it's just like that's the kind of thing that like you would never know, right? But like he got that movie made. Like that was it was his star power. Is that why he showed up uh at uh Frank Ocean's FYF set? Yeah, he's, yeah, he's yeah, oh yeah, I forgot he did that. Dude, he's like my partner to cookout. dude. I still remember my partner went to FYF that year and I had skipped out and then like I think it was like yeah, Frank Ocean headlining and then like yeah, he's like dude like Brad Pitt's here and he had like video of it like, yeah. like texting me i was like what the f- why the fuck am i not there why yeah. did i like make the mistake of like not going to fly this year i know it's because brad pitt isn't yeah brad pitt is invited to the cookout because he like <laughs> he funds these films and doesn't talk about it like he's just like hey it's I want like this his whole thing i want this to exist yeah. in the world and like yeah that is like i mean it takes a certain level of star power and whatever but like that's the kind of thing that like that's how these things get made largely yeah. largely i mean games are very different obviously but like you know like it's rare to find somebody who wants to collaborate with you who also is fine with you not take like with without taking the credit you know also like looking at triple a games like most triple a games are the director's white like it's very much it's triple a yeah. space especially like when you're looking at the lead developers it is very white which is very unfortunate like it, and it's also very like men it's just like white men everywhere yeah. uh like most of the interviews i do because i mostly cover big games now it's mostly just white dudes which is unfortunate you it's know just, it's just how it I is mean, also, I mean, yeah yeah and it's like it's not that white dudes are bad i mean they're various levels yeah. of woke yeah uh and it's just like white dudes are i mean like look i i uh i i marvel about this all the time but like I have a lot of white dude friends who are actually dope. They like fucking get it. I don't have to explain things to them. And it's just like, and if they don't get it, they ask and they're like, or they Google it and they're not like shitty about it. And like that shit is so rare. I don't know. I, I feel like it's one of those things like, oh wait, I, I think I just did a, I know, I, I know white people. Damn, I did. I know. I know. Some Let's white go. People Let's go. Cool. I know white people. He took it's inventory fine. for a sec. You know, a game is a, uh, ostensibly woke that I'm, I'm, lo- I'm looking at the diversity of this game now and I'm thinking like thinking a lot about it recently because I've been playing more uh, hashtag segue is Call of Duty uh, Modern talking, Warfare <laughs> this new call you're talking Call of Duty there's hella <laughs> yeah there's hella um, Duty? there's a lot of uh, not white people in Call Listen. of Duty and Listen, I'm like, here's the thing. What am I supposed to think? Here's of this? the thing. So I grew up well, in a dis- town. Disposable that machines was, who die. Go on. So I grew up in a town that was a an Air Force town. Big ass Air Force town. And like I had a lot of friends that were a lot of races growing up. The 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 military machine does not discriminate, at least in terms of enrollment. So yes, like it does. It, do, <laughs> it does, right? But it's like I grew up in like a South Georgia town and like was surrounded by like all races of people from literally all over the world kind of like from birth because like we were near an air force base so people just came in and shit so i think it's actually it was more crazy to see a military like in the early call of duty games that didn't look like the military that i knew where i was like oh like 
like so many of my friends growing up were like from the Philippines or from like Mexico or from like fucking France or whatever. Like it's not a, th- it was not a thing that there was just like only white people in the military. So looking at Call of Duty now, it's like, oh, this looks like yeah. fucking like, oh, Charlie's from my South Georgia town because all of these people are attracted to like stable jobs, stable I mean, income. It well, fucking works out. Also the problems of being American. But yeah, historically you're right because like the military was the biggest desegregation experiment in America. That was like they they because they could order people to like you know integrate. That was like that's that's history. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it didn't help in like Vietnam, where like you know the uh, the the Ken Burns documentary does a very good job of showing how like soldiers and commanders didn't necessarily agree. Black soldiers and white commanders. Sorry, that's what I mean specifically. But I think um, yeah, you're right. I think it's funny. I mean, I was talking about Apex Legends just the other day with my friend, uh, and we were just like huh what other games can you name like five black protagonists in because <laughs> like yeah. apex has a bunch and i was like damn you know like this game like there's a lot there's a lot that's like like fine about it but like that they nailed that and it feels sort of effortless in this in this realm but yeah warzone is warzone is good modern warfare is fine i suppose i don't know do we have <laughs> call of duty thoughts I, I so like Warzone. So I've been like reviewing Xenoblade Chronicles, uh, which I'm. I guess by the time this recording goes up, I'll have a review Super written and up. Right there. I have not. Oh, yeah. There's the High Entia, <laughs> who have uh, they're like bird people. Uh, there's the which race is black. Uh, the which one? I don't, maybe the high. Maybe the the Ma- Machina maybe seen because they're they're kind of like very people don't like them for some stupid reason for some reason interesting <laughs> yeah for some reason it's just right there. they look like robots a little bit i don't yeah. know it's like do it's they, always mm, like interesting do they do menial <laughs> tasks too <laughs> uh they live on uh wait they don't a live farm? on bionis they live i'm trying mech on they live on mech on uh instead of bionis the other continent anyway i don't want to get into uh-huh. xenoblade lore it's all do, very would you call stupid it the, would you call it the dark continent by chance <laughs> Sorry, I'll stop. I'll stop fucking anyway. with you. Anyway, <laughs> uh, Xenoblade. Anyway, so on top of Xenoblade, I've just been playing a lot of Warzone. That's pretty much. Wait, just so been what, uh, my go-to tell me about game. your Warzone experience. How, like, how, how, um, what, what's your loadout? My <laughs> what's my loadout? <laughs> so I usually run with like a PKM and then a, a Fila rocket launcher, but. Okay. I don't know. It's mostly like it's but my socializing. Like I've only played with friends. Like I don't yeah, log on to Warzone or Modern Warfare to play solo ever. Like I, I played Modern Warfare like when that came out because I reviewed it and then I played it for like a couple months after. But I would like hop in just to play by myself like solo queue. But I don't Absolutely solo not. queue now anymore. Like I just don't. Like it's just like I'm logging on because all my friends are logging on. And it's like, okay, we're going to go play some Warzone. Uh, oh, and yeah. it's been... Speaking of which, Katie and I had a set. We did have a set last week. Yeah. It was that was one of the most exciting Call yeah. of Duty sessions. We had like a bunch of games in a row that were just nutty yeah. from start to finish, what? just like complete and utter utter chaos. Drop the KD um, I started. I oh, it was it was a good you one. Can I had actually, like eleven you kills in oh, yeah. one spread. of our games because I think because you get yeah. revived once in the Google. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah so oh my god what's we should... funny is go ahead sorry yeah, yeah yeah 
I started playing single slash multiplayer to like level up. Yeah, my guns I've been kind and, like, of trying to do that, shit. but I'm like not having fun with this. So I'm trying to find like I just rope in one friend. I'm like, okay, yeah. squad up with me so I can try and get the whatever that big assault rifle. That's really good. It's well, first of hashtag tips, bad end tips. tips. Um, you play on hardcore mode. And it's like basically everything's a one shot kill, so you can level up your guns really fast because oh. you just kill everyone in one shot. Interesting. Um, yeah, recommend that. But I started playing the single player, and why I was saying ostensibly diverse is because like it feels like the whole single player's thing is like brown people do war too. <laughs> They're just like us. Brown. Like that's the whole brown angle. People kill each other, bro. Yeah, um, yeah, I know. Also, it's mm, like mm, U.S. military not great about deploying brown people places. Oh no, yeah, oh, no. and or destroying brown people places. However, I was caught up with you guys. Yeah, I just downloaded it last yeah, night. Do it. I, downloaded, I did that a hundred gigabyte download. I got so, it on my hard drive now. So fucking big, and it's like even bigger on PC, so right? Big. Like so on PC because it's hundred like, gigs. And I had to download like ten gigs of shaders. Insane. Like luckily on console, you can do like this sort of no, you, like module module. No, you have kind to. You have to. No, you have to have hundred eleven gigabytes have, free. You gotta have all the beans. <laughs> I should check how much it takes up because I have no idea at this point. I'm just like, Dude, can we, my can war we talk about machine. how? Can we talk about how fucking wild Call of Duty is? Wait, so, like, sorry. I, I want to go, I wanna go back to squatting up with okay. friends and being that that being social life because go ahead. I still have a Fortnite group squad. Yeah, we see? still we still squad oh, wow. the fuck up and drop in, and it's it's been great since they uh, deleted skill based matchmaking for squads because it's just like now we just, just crush dudes. In. Yeah, <laughs> I, Warzone doesn't have skill based matchmaking. Which is, I feel like with Warzone, I'm having way more luck getting like winning matches like you know or winning encounters like i feel like with apex it was always like very like tight like oh shit like yeah i never know but like Wait, with warzone you... it's either i'm getting either getting squished or i'm demolished. who do you play them. in apex i used to play uh gibraltar because okay, i feel like he's good in all situations you know like you can pop his shield and it's always useful like no matter so where you about... are in the match the thing about apex that i hate is that the hitboxes are different for every hero yeah. So Revenant, the new one, is just bones. He's just like skeleton bones. He's a skeleton bone man, and you can't shoot him. You just <laughs> yeah, can't hit that motherfucking <laughs> robot. And he like crawls away fast, which is kind of Apex is He's so like hard sneaky. to me, man. Yeah, Apex is hard that, to get like a hand because I feel like I can't get a handle of everyone. You know, it's like I kind the of characters move so fast, yeah. and I'm like, I can't track See, these people. Call I, of Duty, I'm like. Yeah, they're so right Call there. Of Duty. I feel Call like Duty is, I can it's, do. It's more. harder for me to spot people. Like I, Apex and Fortnite, I'm like, oh, I can see everything. But yeah. Call of yeah, Duty, yeah, I'm just yeah, like, yeah. oh fuck, I'm fucked. It's like, Ugh. what gray mass are they near that other sort of slightly yeah. green gray mass? I mean, what's Shit. interesting about because I just interviewed the Warzone developers like last week or the week before or something. But Tight. what's interesting is they like sm they developed the map to be very unlike other battle royale maps. Like they wanted it to be very crowded and very much like a Call of Duty map, if that makes sense. So they yeah. didn't want to look, be like mm -hmm. these wide open spaces with like weird clusters of activity, which is like how most or, battle royale maps are. Or weird clusters of like like height and such. Yeah. Like, like hills yeah. or whatever. Yeah, like Warzone's maps like way different. And I think it's like way, Dude. it's a better game because of it. And it's very like objective based too with the contract. So it's like a lot of times like when we're first dropping, we're like looking at that. We're like, okay, let's do like 
the scavenger box thing first yeah. and then we'll do a recon so we can figure out the next circle and we just kind of like map out our match that way but like obviously things go off track but it's like it feels, very fun that it feels like the uber battle royale like it feels like it, it it like encompasses all of the elements of the other games that came yeah. before it right 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 um it's also wild to me like the fucking the like the maps are big like huge. they're big in a way that like they're not just like not just in terms of like square footage but like in like the downtown area i was like oh there's just a 15 story building that has like full floors so, and, every and you can floor. run and up every like, story it's crazy yeah and i was like nuts. what the fuck like I this is just it. a full-on building that's just here and it's like it feels like a it feels like a battlefield level yeah inside of yeah. like a battle royale and i was yeah. like oh my this is like this the scale of this is like truly astounding knowing that i can run across this whole thing and find something else of like similar detail just that in a different way it feels sort of like staggering and it's uh you know in its greatness in a way that no other battle royale game it's, has felt before no it's, it's honestly like the, sense away. Of, the sense of scale is incredible like i was like oh i'm just like on top of a skyscraper but it, and that guy is you know 1000 meters away and it and feels like and it feels real and bullet drop and it also feels, feels real, real. Um, yeah I like, feel like I care God. about, or I I notice bullet drop more in this game than even in PUBG, where like I played but, like PUBG religiously for like a year and oh, wow, was okay. obsessively into my car ninety eight or whatever the fuck and like <laughs> you know like my go to gun and like no bullet drop and I feel like so with, you are a, you are a sniper like, interesting yeah a little bit but like I feel like in Call of Duty it's more like okay I'm using like the PKM because it's like really good with long range and mid range so it's like I'm kind of like more thinking like strat strategically in that sense now whereas I feel like with like PUBG I would just be like okay I'm like the sniper type with like an, a long rifle or a sniper like I yeah. was whereas I feel like with Call of Duty I'm more thinking about like a variety of scenarios and thinking in that sense when picking up guns um and it but honestly really it's more like just getting my loadout as soon as possible which is an I interesting also, like, change i also can't play warzone for more than like four rounds in a row because it's That's just it, it, it's it feels tense. really intense and yeah. it's like four yeah. rounds is like it's an hour and intense. a half <laughs> like, because yeah. they take forever which i really like like i like that there's an, a built-in res that you can use like you can like like you can if you beat the gulag hell yeah you get revived but if you don't you your teammates can still buy you back at any time in the match and that's that's incredible i don't know it's like it feels like it feels le legitimately like sort of a like a an optimization of the battle royale genre like totally. in general oh for sure yeah like it's it's definitely like when in my interview i just did like they talked about like how they play blackout and they had all these like things they wish and then as like blackout progressed they introduced like respawning and all these things so it's like kind of call of duty is already forging this path in a sense but yeah. like infinity ward was like developing this mode for like three years or whatever and they were like but also like watching how battle royales progress but i'm sure they got like pinging from apex you know it's like they definitely yeah. well, got all these ideas maybe but i, I it feels i mean it feels almost like it, the, the the regurgitation of the tropes feels like it's not a it feels like it's like original i don't know they mm -hmm. they, they, they they threaded that needle between like copying people and being original and like yeah. it's like it feels really good to play in a way that like i can tell all of my friends who play fortnite yeah. to play apex or not apex sorry warzone and they're just like hell yeah this game like this game rips i get it yeah. i get it immediately because it feels 
it feels addictive in a way that I love. <laughs> like it reminds me of Halo fucking me. three, bro. Like let's go. Yeah, yeah my true. my friends yeah. have been saying like because uh, I never had Xbox, so I was never a Halo person. But like all my friends that they're like normal people that don't really play shooters ever. Like usually I play Call of Duty with like other game industry people. But I'm playing with like my normal ass friends who like play Nintendo games. And that's it, you know. <laughs> it's like, but they're like, yeah, this is like Halo. Like this, I haven't played a shooter as much since like Halo Two or Halo Three. And yeah. it's like, I, I, that's not me. But you know what? I appreciate it because I have friends to play Call of Duty with now. Yeah, I, I think like one thing that's been tripping me out recently, and that every Call of or not every Call of Duty, every uh, Battle Battle royale game has jesus i went through like five names of games there but um every battle royale game kind of has is like this means of making you think differently about the geography and like the geometry of the levels and like how you can fight within them based on like where the circle is and like the spaces transform in call of duty i think so much because of like where the circle is and where you are so like if you're in a building and like the circle is like closing behind you it's so much different if you're in that building and it's like in the middle of the circle or like if it's like at you know on the edges of the circle or what have you like all of the geography changes so much where it's like you'll think about like one building that you held up toward the end of a game that like you got destroyed in but then like all of a sudden in another game like it's it's the context of that location is like different within the circle and like it just totally transform what the building means and how you interact with it and how you're like holding it down and one thing i really like about warzone is because is that a lot of it is about awareness and like mm-hmm. being able to spot people and being able to like see where people are coming from and account for that stuff. But you never really can because there's so many possibilities in any given space where it's like, oh, they can get in this door that we totally forgot about or they can yeah. like throw a C4 into this window that we totally didn't account for. And you'll just get destroyed in some so, like random way that you had never even imagined. So one thing that I like about Warzone is that the circle is actually vicious. Like you cannot stay in the circle. Yeah. Every other battle royale, you can you can tank damage for the first two circles. This one you cannot. And like that, I think yeah. gives it this like permadeath feel, even though it you, it's not permadeath. Uh, and that I think contributes to exactly what you're talking about, which is like when you're in the circle, you're like, okay, I, I can I can be tactical about this. When you're like near the edge, you're like, I gotta fucking move. I gotta go. I have to get in. I have to make yeah. this like. To make this happen, and I think you get into more engagements because of it, because the circle is actually pushing you instead of like being a minor impediment. And I think that's, I think right. that's maybe the major innovation with with Warzone is making this circle hit for like, you know, fifteen damage, insane damage. Like, yeah. it's 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 <laughs> absolutely insane. They just did this thing too, where in the most recent patch, the last circle, instead of cl- what it used to do, is the last circle would just close in all the way until like who it's just like a battle of attrition with whoever survives the longest uh through that last circle wins. in fortnite they call it a heal off go on oh <laughs> the, where you had to do a heal off but now the last circle the entire circle moves yeah so it's like a freeze. it's so, so like, like fortnite they bit so that from you, fortnite <laughs> fortnite is the uh i mean it's the one for yeah for, for, I mean, for mm. Fortnite is still very good, folks. <laughs> this, this is like the oh, that's so crazy. Just like I'm think, just thinking about like Fortnite specifically as like I feel like I see Fortnite uh, more as like a social is, thing, like it's more like a social game. To what's me. interesting to me about what you're talking about is the fact that like, like I I would say as much as I don't like PUBG or whatever, like PUBG Apex 
uh, Blackout, what's called Warzone. Like all Warzone. of them, I think are like valid design ideas, right? And like even like Fortnite one year ago is like a valid design idea and could just exist as what it is. But like something about like the model that um, especially like games as a service that most of the Battle Royales are now built as have to do with kind of innovating around core ideas to make people keep coming back. So the idea that like Fortnite as like a game has to like change itself in this like interesting way to sort of like make the game still be interesting, despite the fact that like the old model like still could like work and maybe oh. there are some scenarios where it like didn't work. This idea of like this evolving sort of gameplay, even around like crucial moments of play they, as just a thing that they, has to happen now. They also don't they don't care like they, they, they've they introduced modes that like frankly they don't care about the the players who like care about the battle royale because like right. that's not, Fortnite is like a it's like an everything store now it's Amazon right, Fortnite right, is right. Amazon. Yeah. Um, but I will say like they do they did switch like they switched off skill based matchmaking for squads which like had the effect of like bringing back people who like created content again you see the air quotes uh, for the platform because like they can now like stunt on regular people playing the game because it's easy to win right. and you can like co do cool things. That was a very conscious decision because like the rest of Fortnite, like the skill, like Fortnite is like end stage battle Royale in that so many people played for so long that it is impossible. Like the skill curve is now impossible. You like, if you don't know how to do the things you cannot play Fortnite. It doesn't like, doesn't make sense unless you play solo queue or duos, but like, it, it's just like, your shit will get wrecked. It doesn't matter how good you are at other shooters because like the mechanics are totally different. Um, and I think Warzone, et cetera, are very different because like skill-based matchmaking isn't a thing for either like Warzone, Apex, PUBG. You're just like put in a battlefield and it's like, I, th I think that like those skill curves maybe will start to shift a little bit, but like not quite as much, I think as Fortnite because like the building mechanic is very specific. And if you can't build, you can't play that game. But it's it's I think it's really interesting because I think I think Warzone is maybe the platonic ideal of a battle royale, um, and I think Apex also gets very close. But again, like it's sort of Overwatch, but Fortnite, or, or Overwatch, but <laughs> yeah, PUBG. Overwatch but Fortnite. Maybe PUBG. I don't know. Overwatch before Fortnite with a little like uh, Black Pepper PUBG. You know. <laughs> a little like do you want, I'm some, doing do you want pepper, some black pepper on this sir the pepper grinder yeah i want a, yeah. Little, I want a little spice baby i want a little spice uh for my hot take Thank you, it's a factor. cold take it's a cold take Put but yeah i think that's main. why I, this is why i like i keep coming back to fortnite but also why i love apex and, and uh warzone it's like i've spent the time in fortnite to like not get wrecked and i have also like been excited by the new dishes um but yeah, I don't know. And Travis Scott's up. having fucking concerts oh, in Fortnite. Shit about that. Dude, that concert was fucking sick. That was it was yeah, actually sick. It was so Wait, sick. It was sick though. That's why I'm saying it's like I feel yeah. like Fortnite is almost it's I it's more exciting to me as a social platform than it is as a game. Like I've I don't really like the shooting in Fortnite. Like I've I've never clicked with it. Like that's fine. But like I feel like it's more interesting okay. for these like okay. digital. Okay experiences big on gun i almost feel yeah i almost feel like it's like the new second life but cooler like it's not weird like second life you know if that makes sense like it, it's well, kind of taking we, we talked about this a while ago on like the podcast that like i think that fortnite is doing some of the best like shared storytelling yeah, stuff like, like it's picking up the mantle definitely. of like what wow is doing but like for doing sure sort of different but also style. it's doing these cool like we like they just have that tenant trailer premiere which is so oh fucking God, yeah. weird to me it's like that doesn't feel like the right audience but i respect it like sure i mean I, D donald mustard tweeted he's just like 
my my friend Christopher Nolan talk to me. <laughs> I just imagine like Tim Sweeney like shaking hands with Christopher Nolan. And like, yeah, let's do this, man. While people are like flossing. I mean, I love him. my my favorite thing about that is that they 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 took off the date that it would be. Yeah, in it just says coming it's to theaters like very says, ominously, like. That's at a threat. Point. Yeah. Coming to theaters. Coming to it's like that dude just needs to chill out. Just let me watch it on my TV. Like fuck. Like fucking. I'm not going to a theater this year. Like that's just not happening. That is not feasible. No, not. I want to see that movie, but I will not go to a theater to see it this year. But you are playing Warzone. But I will play Warzone. Right? They should premiere in Warzone. Fuck Fortnite. <laughs> I would love that. They should just put. They should like, yeah, premiere yeah, the trailer. But hey, Tamagotchi watching Warzone. But hey, I do yeah. want to end on. I do want to end on a specific. I want to end on a specific note, which is. Please squat up with me. Yeah. Dude, Please I'll share up. my oh, Activision name we'll after this. We're on. Let's squat up. Let's do it. Act let's, ID. Let's do it. Wait, can I say one? I want to say one thing about Call of Duty as someone who's not played Call of Duty for a while, which I was saying before. Wait, can I just say it sounds like you said Call of Duty with a D? Duty? Duty. Like poop? Oh. Like poop? Like poop? <laughs> can I just say one thing about Call of Duty right quick? Y'all, <laughs> Call of Duty is fucking wild. Like I yeah. haven't played Call of Duty in a long Kyle, time. Kyle, can you not can you not do the Southern accent because it's giving me it's triggering me. It's giving me flashbacks, bro. I grew up in Texas. Don't do it. Don't do it. Because <laughs> George like is I out. so like obviously Call of Duty is it, it's like it is the it is the shooter for like America, right? And like it is crazy playing Call of Duty and just like doing this thing as someone who like knows how to like get in to play Call of Duty, like down the fucking Blizzard launcher and salt and all this shit. You just go Shoot in there and like. If you just imagine looking at Call of Duty with new eyes, the first thing I see is that I have kill streaks for rewards. What the f- I have to kill people in a row and I get rewards for it and I to like do like crazy bombs. Also, I die and I spawn. Wait, in how gulag. long has it been since like, you played a Call of Duty? Because kill no, streaks like, have I, been I there since like no, 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 I know. Okay, I okay. understand. I like, like, like <laughs> I played since then, but just like looking at like the sort of like the the cruft and crust that Call of Duty has accrued over time and like looking at it new. I know the gulag thing is new, but it's like. What the fuck? There's you a just lot play a game on, and yeah. you spawn in a gulag? Yeah. I mean, he's like, right. He's right. It's fun. What the fuck? My, my friend like is fucked European. up. Yeah. And it's, it's like there's, really there's zero commentary. You're just in it and now you're like fighting someone and you have fists and there's there hear people I mean, shooting, the gu- and also like when you go into like your loadout screen and like customizing guns, like the gun fetish, fetishizing is like so it's, it's more crazy. Par- it's more it's apparent totally than it has been in past crazy. games. It's like here's this like I mean, beautiful tool table. And your guns, and you're like looking up, and it you know, like it's wild. It it's is really so wild. wild. It's truly wild. It's like the NFL, man. Now there's like a, a <laughs> soldiers of a of America bundle that you oh, can buy yeah, to like also, support our troops. I, so and shit. I just unlocked. Wait, so- <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So there's like, <laughs> sorry, it's just America's army, but by a different. Fuck. Exactly. It, it's, it's very American. Transparently, support our troops battle pass. Yeah. There's literally a support our troops battle. Can I support our radicals? Will any game give me the option to support Antifa? Please. That's what they should. They should do. They should Antifa definitely needs a battle game. Arm the left, man. That should be the. They do like a new cosmetic packs every week. That should be next week's. It's like my new cosmetic pack. All black. All black. Face masks. You know. Anti-fascist. Let's fucking God, go. That's <laughs> fucking great. Yeah, Call of Duty's wild. I anyway. I just unlocked a fucking operator skin recently. I think in the battle pass, and it's like this. I was so excited. It was like this guy in a cowboy hat, and I was like, hell yeah, this is so stupid. And then I clicked it on, and I realized it just says police on a bulletproof vest on it. And I was like, I'm never wearing this shit. I've never. Sorry, I some of my pleasure, dude. It was some of my pleasure in Call of Duty comes from like 
that shit. I'm it's just so like, ridiculous. Yeah. I'm just yeah. like, it's so like, like, I'll be a white nationalist to get a fucking right. kill streak. Let's just, <laughs> just fucking I just, go. I just it's like cabs. I, I this is, to go back to streaming. I just let a cabs. I call out a cabs in the chat. Everyone drops a cab. <laughs> we we drop in. Then we drop in, baby. Yeah, yeah. It's a I'm bummer kidding, because kidding. like I I really like playing Call of Duty. I feel like the, the, it's the best feeling shooter around. I love first person shooters, but just like the culture around it is so gross. It's crazy, and it bums me out because I'm like, I wish, I wish someone could make Call of Duty but not make it like gross. You know. Like not. <laughs> I hate how realistic. I hate how realistic the guns are. Yeah. Like it just it feels it's fucked just up. Just make make, make <laughs> like guns that's... that feel this good, but make them like sci-fi. Like I, I love Apex, but the Apex guns still legends. I feel like Apex like doesn't hit the right. Yeah, the guns don't. They hit. don't. The guns they don't, don't have hit. the weight. You know, like I want that weight. No. And you want like, that, I want that. Yeah. You want that human killing power, but without yeah. without humans, human. yeah. Give me cute aliens wanna, and like silly stuff. You want to ex- you want to exterminate bugs? They should make Splatoon, but with like Call of Duty. <laughs> maybe weight. You know, I was gonna make a terrible joke, and I'm not gonna make that joke. But uh, all I have to say <laughs> about that is Rockstar. Whiskey Rockstar whiskey makes so. bad games. That's it. Rockstar <laughs> makes bad games. <laughs> mm. <laughs> Talking about weights of guns. <laughs> Like pea shooters. Uh, it, it really Rockstar reminds me of the games, NFL. The controls are bad. The controls are bad. Gotcha. Um, Kyle agrees with you there. I do. That's for uh, damn sure. Bijan, thanks for being on the podcast, man. You guys let me go for too long. I'm sorry. <laughs> you can take one more shot. I want to apologize. You wrap it up if you want to. I will. Just... I will. But I want to apologize because I had a lot of fun. Um, I, I. We hate that you had. Is... We hate that you had fun. We don't. Yeah. We're, we're, we're all in. I, no, like watching you podcast. drink throughout this Usually... episode has been hilarious too because you just keep pouring. <laughs> More shots for yourself. It's so good. <laughs> it's like, it it's like if I got to talk about video games, I got to get a little tipsy. Yeah, honestly, I, I feel al- it. I, I, I live it. alone. I live alone and I don't talk to people. Please, please, please <laughs> squat up. You can't me. take this away from me. Please squat we up. We would never. <laughs> In fact, we should do this more ourselves, which is do some do some beers, do some yeah. shots. Because okay. I've been doing that outside the podcast, but yeah, uh, I feel like I feel sad because I only yeah. like. Well, you guys, I, so I you, love my no, partner, guys, but like you know, I'm only, he doesn't drink, so it's like only me drinking a lot. Of the whole time. It's but really you, sad. you guys are hosts. You guys are hosts, so it's di- it's harder and it's different. Diff- it's different because like I'm a guest. I get to be as fucked up as I want to be because you can, you're gonna presumably edit this. Even if you don't, it'll be fine, right? Yeah, it'll be totally fine. Sure, it'll be. Please <laughs> reassure me. Okay, I won't edit this, but it will be great. I'm just kidding. Yeah, no, I think it'll be fine. Raw audio, but I think straight. Look, if you if you want to if you want to guy if you guys want to come on stream if you guys want to like I would I would I I am starving for human interaction. I would love to play video games with you because you seem like you're actually good at video games, which makes me feel better because then I'm like, hey, maybe I'm the worst one in the the fucking group, and that sounds great. That's a better. That's definitely a better situation to be in. I'm always yeah. worse when I'm playing on a stream. Like even if I'm guesting and I have like literally no. I mean, we no don't have to stream. We can just play. <laughs> we can just get, we'll have play to go. All right, don't we will. I, I'm, wait, Bijan, what kind of camera do you have, man? You look. That camera's looking great, man. You got a GH5 hooked up to that, bro. You're doing like a real. You could tell, man. You can tell. Listen, you guys won't see it, but Bijan's video looks. Delicious is the best way to describe yeah, it. Crispy. You can see my pores probably, it's but crispy. I don't have any. I'm getting a black. new roommate <laughs> <laughs> soon. And his we had to do like a Zoom interview or whatever. And his webcam was like so stunning. It was like so strong. I was like, what the fuck? You're like, like I'm hiring you, right? Yeah. I mean he's moving yeah, gotta, in like next week, so it worked out. But I was like, damn, this dude has really Yo. great camera. Oh. That's he's, good. I mean, it means he's fastidious. Yeah, you know? Yeah, he cares. 
I think he streams. Bijan, also, tell the people, so. <laughs> tell the people where they can find you. Oh yeah, for sure, for sure. You can find me at Bijan Steven, uh, B I J A N S T E P H E N. You're not gonna listen to that, but if you look up Bijan, you'll find me um, on Twitter. Except for on Twitter, there's I'm so mad about this. There's a VC whose name whose name is Bijan, and he has oh. at Bijan, and I'm so mad. Oh. I've been so mad for years. <laughs> Damn. Follow me on Twitter, but follow me on Instagram and Twitch because those are the platforms that I care more about. Are you now. Bijan Steven on Twitch as well? Yes. On Instagram, I'm Bijan Cakes. That's what I, yeah. So it's, that's what I was It's asking. fun. But I'm also verified Cakes. there, so it doesn't matter. Ooh. 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 Whip yeah, that plebs. out. Wow, we got a blue check on the podcast. So we got some blue we got checks some in here. Blue checks no. over here. So, you know, the only check that matters is the purple check. Because oh, honestly, then you it get is the money. <laughs> well, no, 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 no. Sorry, it is so hard to get verified on Twitch as a partner. It's just like that's like that's actually the hardest thing to get. Like as a like, it's as, like no as a person on social media. I'm not even one, kidding. Get verified. Number two, meet Paul McCartney. Harder to get verified on Twitch than meeting Paul McCartney. <laughs> it's the hardest. I mean, thing. if it's easier to meet Paul McCartney, yeah. If you like know people in New York, yeah, you can meet Paul McCartney pretty easily. Shit, I got no Twitch. However, you have to have seventy-five average viewers, which Paul McCartney doesn't have, because he's dead. No, Paul McCartney is. I think he's He's alive, alive, right? right? Him and Ringo are still alive, (laughs) but he's not relevant. So him and Ringo just got a a notification from the Hollywood Reporter on my phone. Paul McCartney just died because Sorry, I'm. I'm, 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 I'm coming in extremely hot here. Uh, yeah, if Paul McCartney dies between now and the, the podcast airing, Dude, I'm sorry. that would be horrible. Can you imagine? So we'll have to cut this that out. That would be terrible. You'd have to... Did you just jinx his life? It's just Ringo left. Oh, my I'd God. I'd have to record a post script for the episode. Hey, listeners. Uh, <laughs> Jesus, recorded I, I need to before. do some damage control. <laughs> to play some yeah, like, memoriam music. <laughs> we apologize. Hey, guys, it's Josh. I had to just check in real quick because uh, of everything that happened in the past couple of days. <laughs> <laughs> Bijan, he's a great guy. He didn't mean <laughs> it. He didn't mean it. Sorry, you, all, you, you have to say that I'm also not dead because I won't die before <laughs> Paul McCartney. <laughs> <laughs> I refuse to die you won't leave man. the apartment you won't risk that covid he has good intentions but yovin <laughs> sorry Gosh. i'm thinking about farmer i'm thinking think about farmersonly.com and what it's doing right now <laughs> just so you got, you got a tab refreshing trying to see what happens i'm just thinking about it gotta get back on christian do you not have tabs in your brain bro Dude, are you I got, on that? I got so many. Are you on the Internet right Explorer now? for your brain or what? Like I you got, got that, you got that new Firefox Opera shit, open source baby. I only use Vivaldi. You have to. I have to go because otherwise I'm just gonna keep yelling at you. <laughs> okay, everybody, thank you again, Bijan, for coming on the show. This was a great. Uh, we would love to have you in the future, uh, both on the <laughs> we'll podcast tap you on. <laughs> and in squads and in squads. So look out for uh, some requests there, but. Again, folks, we are Bad End Podcast. You can find us on Twitter at Bad End Podcast. Uh, you can email us at badendpod at gmail.com. Uh, as a reminder, we're part of Superculture Network, which also includes Bullet Points, uh, which is a great podcast slash online sort of magazine type thing. What's up, Bijan? What if you called it Good End Podcast? For like a good end. That's not the joke. That's not the joke. Have you have you thought about it? I just want to ask. We thought about we, it. Maybe for like a special edition. Mm. Uh, oh like no, that would be like that down. stupid John Krasinski show that got bought out because oh, of course yeah. it did. We could the rebrand as happy endings. Stuff with that happened this week. 
<laughs> I just wanted to ask. Please, please. Sorry, finish your thing. Good. Oh, um, and I think that's uh, Superculture, rate us and review us on iTunes, like and subscribe, uh, keep an Tell eye out friends. for future stream stuff that we're going to be doing. Oh, we just put up a new episode of Savoir Fair. Put up a new episode of Savoir Fair, the Disco Elysium podcast, where we discuss the ending of the game. So if you've played that or are about to play the game, definitely check that out because it's like we had good combo about that game, man. It's a great game. Um, but yeah, thanks for listening. Thanks for coming on the show, Bijan. And uh, we'll see you next time. Light your- Thank you.